The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman, here with my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder. Uh, We have a very fun episode for you this week. We are going through EJ's, I guess you call, first annual ball of clay (laughs) list, which is a a fun little segment we're going to start this year. And then uh, we have a great interview with Danny Kelly from The Ringer, who just put out his annual draft guide, which is also... Uh, it, it's it's a masterpiece every single year. I, I love reading Danny's work, not just for uh, you know the information you get on prospects, but some of the the wacky comps that he comes up with. It's it's a it's a great interview. So stick around for that. Uh, before we get into everything, though, EJ, buddy, how you doing? What are we drinking? I'm tremendous because it's a great episode. Friend of the pod, a friend of both of ours, Danny Kelly, who we've known uh, for quite a while. We'll get into that in a bit. Um, somebody in the comments the other day said, I can't wait for one of these guys to drink a Budweiser or a Corona. And I almost raised my hand on the Corona thing because we have had Corona on this podcast. Uh, but I chose yellow beer tonight. It is not Budweiser or Corona. It is a Pabst Blue Ribbon uh, in my classic bootleg glass. So that'll be quenching my thirst tonight. And you may notice I am sporting the Utah state Aggies headwear because I mistakenly said Jordan love went to Nevada and as penance <laughs> buy the hat and wear it on a podcast. So it came, uh, thank you very much. Utah state don't really like lining the NCAA's pockets when I don't have to, but, uh, felt appropriate. It's a pretty nice hat. So I'm psyched. The ball of clay list is going to be a ton of fun. And, and, uh, hope everybody sticks around for the interview with Danny, because that's been a long time in the works. Uh, listeners actually asked for him to be on the podcast last, uh, draft live stream when we were working on our then, uh, very aspirational list of guests. And, uh, we finally got him on the pod and it's well worth it. So don't lie, as a Bears fan, you're only wearing that hat because you really just want to piss off Aaron Rodgers. That, that's your yeah, goal. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> if I can irritate him, even in the slightest, uh, I'll be happy to do so. But uh, no, uh, it felt like the right thing to do. And and honestly, I didn't know that they ha- – I knew their mascot was the Aggies, but I did not know about the the bull. And I'm kind of, you know, being a Taurus myself, I'm, I'm kind of partial to the bull. So I kind of like it. By the way, um, I got uh, Port Charlotte with me. From Brooklyn Distillery. It's a very, very, very heavily peated scotch. So, again, not for everybody, but 
I am a peated Scotch fan. I would I would even argue even more PD than like Lagavulin. Uh, it's up the there Freug. with Roy yeah. and Ardbeg. Like, you know, it's oh man, it's just pure smoke. I love it though. Like heavily peated scotches are are like my jam, and uh, Port Charlotte's one of my favorites. Uh, right up there with uh, with Lagavulin sixteen are probably like my two pinnacle peated scotches. But why don't we get into this, EJ? First things first. Why don't you explain? Uh, your ball of clay list for 2021 and, and and what you're looking for here. Absolutely. This came about sort of as a listener idea and a bunch of podcasts that we've done and, and that I've been on and people are talking about potential and, and how much the NFL loves potential. And it's usually physical potential. And that's really when people talk about balls of clay, they're typically talking about physical potential. Again, this is a top sort of 1% of athletes in the world sport. And these are players who are dripping with potential either as physical marbles or maybe they were misused or underused in their college system. Think George Kittle, right? George Kittle was a physical marvel that everybody looked at at the combine and said, wow, maybe he can do more. Went back to the tape. I think he caught 11 passes as, as a senior or maybe in his total career. I can't remember which, but, um, you know, somebody thought, hey, there's a role for this guy. And turns out, you know, he's one of the best tight ends in the NFL. So. Balls of clay are folks that have this potential that's untapped, physical or scheme fit. So if a player is a physical marvel and they're at or near the top of the board, and there are a lot of them this year, first round wide receivers with you know relative athletic scores. We're going to talk about RAS a lot in this episode. So shout out to Kent Lee Platt, the creator of RAS, but that's what RAS stands for. And there are guys... That's a 10-point scale. There are guys up in the nine nines that are going to go in the first round. That's not really a ball of clay. That's a pretty finished product who's going to come in and contribute on day one. Um, there are a couple exceptions to that, uh, folks, that will probably go in round one that maybe you shouldn't just because they're so amped up physically, guys like O.A. and Jamin Davis. So they're on this list. And then I have to mention Sam Cosme from Texas because in most years, we've talked about this being an exceptional offensive tackle class. In most years, a guy like Sam Cosme with his resume and his physical skills, he's automatically in the top three uh, conversations. Oh, easily. Offensive tackle. Easily. Any other year, he's like, yeah, he's somewhere in the top three. This year, he's going to be like the sixth or seventh tackle. And it's not because he's bad. It's because there are so many freak shows physically in this tackle class. So Sam Cosme is also on the list because he's got some astounding stats. We'll get into that. Uh, but again, RAS is the score we're talking about when I'm, when I'm quoting these numbers, typically in the nines, Kent Lee Platt, follow him at math bomb on Twitter, created this. He's got a great searchable database. You can look up all these RAS scores for yourself. Uh, to your point about Cosme, by the way, if he was coming out in a year where like the number one tackle is Jake Matthews, which not that long <laughs> ago, he would have yeah. pushed Jake Matthews for number one tackle. Oh, for sure. That's how that's how strong this class. Like once upon a time, Eric Fisher was OT one. Like th th there was a a large stretch of time in the NFL where like you were wandering through the desert trying to find a good. Yeah, you couldn't buy a tackle. And now the last two years have truly spoiled us. We spent a lot of time on the tackle class last year and this year. It's it's ridiculous. So it's an offensive line revolution, and I am here for it. Why don't we get into these uh, ball of clay quarterbacks here? Uh, we only have two names for this, but it's a couple names that uh, we've talked about on the pod before. And I think you and I have both recognized like, hey, neither one of these guys is ready to start at all. But just when you look at the physical tools, particularly arm strength, 
and, and size and everything like that. It's it's not quite like a Logan Thomas situation where it's like, let's just let's find out what he can do. But it's it's not that far off. Like, I think both of them are better quarterbacks than Logan Thomas was coming out. But I, I think in terms of physical skills, you look at both of them, like build, arm strength, mobility, all that kind of stuff. Like they are that kind of physical profile while also being better quarterbacks. And I think both of them uh, definitely deserve uh, having a chance taken on them at least sometime like early-ish day three. For sure. Jamie Newman's the first one. We list him at Wake Forest. He, of course, transferred to Georgia, didn't get to play there, opted out for 2020. So your tape, you'll see him at Wake Forest. Jamie Newman uh, doesn't have an RAS score, probably the only guy on the list that doesn't, but it doesn't really matter. What you see on tape is a big physical guy who can run, who can hold his own, getting hit in the pocket, who has a cannon for an arm when he lets it go and it's really just about aiming that cannon a little bit better not necessarily that the accuracy of his throws is off it's more about that targeting system and seeing those reads come open and being not just a see it throw it guy but as a see it throw it guy is a lot of potential so most quarterback coaches are famous for saying i can fix it (laughs) And if you look at Jamie Newman, there is absolutely tons of talent there. And you do see it all come together. I think when we were talking about it on the the sleeper edition quarterback uh, piece that we put together, I said his highs are as high as anybody in the class when it all comes together. When he makes the right read, throws the right ball, you you sort of sit back and say, oh, okay, wow, that's Mm -hmm. you don't see that every day. So that's Jamie Newman. Felipe Franks is on the other end of the spectrum he's just a ridiculous athlete he is not a great quarterback um but he is strong he is fast he is tall so he's 6'5 234 vertical jump 32 inches um ran a three cone of just over seven ran a four six one forty at that size at 234 those are those are all the numbers that gives him that 9.5 RAS score. So again, if you've got a quarterback coach in the league who's saying, give me a toolsy guy and I'll polish him up from the headspace standpoint and from learning our system and progressions, Felipe Franks is some is somebody that somebody's going to take a chance on Felipe Franks just based on that physical profile. I've seen things that say, move him to tight end. Not necessarily opposed. That's what I said about Logan Thomas when he was coming out. But I think somebody will take a chance on Franks as a quarterback. Uh, they're going to find out that he has a lot of work to do in his in his quarterbacking game. But again, anything you want him to do, move, roll out, withstand hits in the pocket at that size, unleash that cannon. Again, you want some arm angle consistency from him. But he's got all the tools. So that's what puts him on the ball clay list. He kind of strikes me as like the perfect like day three flyer for Kansas city, similar to what Baltimore did when they Mm. took uh, the Utah kid, Tyler Huntley Huntley last year, where it's like, we have a starter who's an MVP kids never going to play, but if we can develop him and turn it into something, that's free picks for us. And Huntley's, I I would, I would bet that Huntley's going to go the way of Terod Taylor and end up starting a game somewhere eventually not for, for both sure yeah and when I he came Felipe in Franks, and, in relief of Lamar both you and I were watching that game and, and we we're like oh hello <laughs> yeah we it's not just a theory anymore like what we thought about him is true at the highest stage and I think Baltimore was actually a little bit upset about that 
they yeah. wanted to keep him under wraps and several of their players said so like he lights us up in practice we don't want to show him off because we know he can play he came out high pressure situation and kept them in that ball game and everybody went oh yeah so gratifying for it's us like, but why, for, why was, for baltimore's uh, why bummer was, why was mcsorley over him exactly mm. <laughs> just, mm. he's just straight up better but i uh i think franks can be the similar kind of thing for kc where it's like He's never going to play unless it's like a- absolute worst case scenario. But now that we're actually going to get like preseason games back in a couple and not to mention like Casey's one of those teams where it's like they might shut down the starters with like a week or two remaining in the end of the regular season. Like they're that kind of team where it's like Frank's is going to get playing time in Kansas City. There are some teams he would never, ever play, uh, but Frank's would eventually get playing time, whether it's garbage time you know, meaningless starts in the, in the end of the year when they're sitting starters like they did last year or obviously preseason, he would get time to shine in Kansas City. And they develop, I think, quarterbacks so well under Andy Reid, like they could turn him into picks eventually, possibly. I'm not. He's got a long way to go. I'm not guaranteeing it. But if there was one place he was going to go where that could happen, I, I think it would be Kansas City. Yeah, and that's the thing we need to say about all these is is balls of clay are exactly that. They're things that could develop. We're not saying they will develop. We're saying if they land, as you said, in the perfect situation, they can develop because the tools are there. These are the toolsy guys, whether it's mental or physical tools. Most of these guys we're talking about today, it's physical tools. But again, they land in a good situation. They get coached up. And the best case scenario is that they become a rotational player, a starter, maybe even a star it, it if you're looking at nfl examples guy like daniel hunter right mm-hmm. had one sack his senior year but was just oozing with physical potential lands in a perfect spot in minnesota where they know how to develop defensive linemen and now he's daniel hunter so that's why the nfl is in love with these guys that you look at the tape and you're like ah but you look at their tools and you go Later on, I'm going to go get that guy, and my coach thinks that they can make a connection and turn this into something valuable. Why don't we stick with running backs here for a second? Um, Every single year, there's so many ball of clay running backs on day three. Like Statistically, there's going to be a couple that pop off. You've highlighted a few with astronomical RAS scores this year, one of which in particular I really like and I'll talk about uh, after you, but what what stands out for these three names for you to put them on your ball of clay list out of a pretty deep running back class? Yeah, you said it. There's always running backs available, and whether it's guys with great production or great traits, you can get guys late. Kenny Nwangu from uh, Iowa State is ridiculous all the way around like his physical build his strength his speed he's that guy that has every tool um and iowa state you know david montgomery was an iowa state guy like they understand how to put a running back together and how to put a running game together nuangu is the most talented physical back that's been in that system in a while um and could really find a place and we see this every year late round running backs udfas last year it was robinson going to jacksonville there's always a place uh, for them to contribute. And if he gets put in the right hands, he he could show some serious flashes. The other guy on the list, Jake Funk from Maryland. Don't like his tape that much, but he's one of those guys that tested out of the gym. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't see it on tape. I thought he was good on tape, but the way he tested, 
unbelievable. So he makes it with a 9.76. That, that was one where it's like, that doesn't translate. Yeah. I that, saw, that didn't, <laughs> I saw the number and thought one of two things. It was an incomplete RAS test. Like he didn't do a, a whole section and whatever he did, he did really well. So he got a great score. Not the case. He did all the stuff. He's got a full card, but I went, man, I watched a couple of Maryland games and I saw him play and I thought, well, you know he has some bursts he had some good plays but nothing that was going to put him on my board and that number is real close right if we're talking yeah. about you know 13 1400 running backs that have been run through the ras system that that puts him up there in the top like 200 and that's enough to make you sit up and take notice and say mm, is that a guy just great at testing maybe he was a track athlete and it didn't didn't translate not exactly sure with funk but didn't see that level on tape. And then the last guy is a guy who ran a lot faster than I thought he would, even though he's fast. Um, and that's Elijah Mitchell out of Louisiana. And he was part of a three headed running back attack last year when they had two offensive linemen drafted. So we saw all those guys, two of them are in this draft. Trey Regis is their big pounding power back. Um, who's very hard to bring down. And Mitchell is their lightning to that thunder. And he ran in the four threes. Uh, at over 200 pounds and you see yeah, that lightning tape. lightning yeah. when he's 215 <laughs> yeah exactly um he's bulked up a little he played just over 200 louisiana he bulked up for his pro day and he kept that speed and when you see a guy especially running back be able to do that add weight and keep a 4-3 speed uh mitchell's a guy that again for teams that are looking for a little bit of that flash in their running game maybe a team like chicago that's got david montgomery but is really looking for some speed to hit the outside edge mitchell's going to be a very attractive target and he's not going to go undrafted he's going to be fifth round or lower um but i think a really good all-around player and again it just speaks to the value in the running back market mitchell stylistically looks and maybe it's the jersey color i don't know but like the first <laughs> the first place i went to was Devonte booker when he was coming out of utah and i really liked Devonte booker coming out of utah because he was just silky smooth uh he had great vision he, you know he didn't really turn into what i thought he would in the league i mean i've never seen somebody get compared to arian foster more in my entire life than Devonte booker <laughs> But Elijah Mitchell, like stylistically in terms of smoothness, uh, especially is like kind of a one cut slashing back. But he's, uh, you know, he's got that like hashtag deceptively fast kind of kind of thing going where he's so smooth. You don't realize how fast he's going. And all of a sudden, he you know, burns a safety's angle 30 yards down the field. And you're like, wow, I didn't see that coming. So like when he ran in the four threes, I was like, there's no way. But you go back and watch him and it's like well there's not a whole lot of dbs that caught him so it makes sense it's just his running style like his gait is is very deceptive um but i, I really like his feet obviously his size is good you know for a faster back to carry over 200 pounds that means you can actually like take some punishment uh which is big for me and again you know he's one of these running backs where it's like round four round five and you're going to get this guy who's a complimentary piece that can walk into your offense and get 10 to 12 touches a game and be productive with them. Like four, three, five, you get a guy that runs four, three, five in space. You're going to get yards, like almost guaranteed. You're going to get yards, especially when your weighs over 200. So uh, he's, he's definitely somebody, uh, somebody that I'm, I'm looking at uh, probably. Uh, I mean, I, I really like what you said about co uh, complimenting Montgomery with the bears with him, because I think even though he is fast, like Tariq Cohen, the fact that he has size means he feels a different complimentary role than Tariq Cohen. And I think if you got Montgomery, Tariq 
and Mitchell all in the same backfield, you kind of cover all your bases. And if Monty gets hurt, like Mitchell can step in and, and get the bulk of the carries. Like I wouldn't feel bad about that. Like I think he fits perfectly. Yeah, they've got Damian Williams now. They picked him up from Kansas City. Uh, again, he opted out last year. He went year. there? I didn't, yep. I didn't know that. Yep, they they grabbed Williams in free agency. So he's he's the primary number two. And Oh, how about that? I, I think that's a really good move for them because they needed RB2. Um, yeah. But again, get a guy like Mitchell late, fifth, sixth. You know, again, the Bears have a bunch of picks in the 200s. They don't have stuff in the middle rounds. And if they stay with that, um, that's the kind of guy you can get that's going to be productive for you. He did run between the tackles. He's not great there. But again, as you get to those outside edges, as you get off tackle or straight outside zone, and you said one cut with speed and he starts breaking angles, that's a guy you can use. Uh, and again, with that size, he's going to be valuable on special teams as well. So it's worth the flyer. Now, staying in the backfield, your ball of clay kind of fullbacks and H-backs. I have heard both of these guys' names more on my Twitter timeline than I think anybody <laughs> else in the last week. It's like people finally got to them down in their mm. order and you're yep. starting to see everybody, you know, get with it on Twitter. Uh, Tommy Tremble and Ben Mason. Why don't you talk about them for a second? Yeah. Tommy Tremble's a little bit in the Kittle mold, right? I mm-hmm. Notre Dame used him as that. Is it just a rotating offensive piece for them? And, and use check has sort of um, glamorized that role. If it's possible in San Francisco, where they'll, they'll bring him as an offset tight end next to the inline tight end. They'll pull him on runs. They'll slide him out in the slot with motion. Um, can run pass patterns, can run wham blocks, uh, can even run the football, right? You, I've seen jet sweeps or the little jet touch pass, right, with both of those guys. And with a with an athletic profile, again, 8-9 in RAS, Tommy Tremble's a little bit on the shorter side. If he was a bit taller, it was really the size part of his um, RAS score that kept him down. But athletically, very, very fluid, powerful, pretty fast, and super versatile. So Tremble's getting a lot of play as that sort of move tight end, functional H-back, slide-in guy that you can do a lot of things with on offense who can op- occupy several roles for you And again, a, a 53 or 55-man roster. Um, and Mason is more the classic banging fullback for the teams that really want to run I. Mason is super athletic, but he is compact. He is strong and he moves people. He is that more throwback, um, you know, get the stone tablet and chisel fullback, but he (laughs) is extremely athletic doing it. Um, Plays with great leverage, super hard nosed, as you would expect from a Michigan fullback. I mean, don't scout the helmet, but come on, you say Michigan fullback and you got a guy like, mason to do that so a couple of guys that serve not exactly the same role but a a versatile role and again coaches are gonna you know i don't know any coaches special team or otherwise that are gonna look at ben mason's tape and go anything other than "Ah, that's a football player like that's a guy i could coach he wants to play he's a he's a core special teamer for the next six or seven years like he's he's gonna stick in the league at least for that not every team uses fullbacks but if if this whole notion of like, hey, 21 personnel is going to be in vogue again because defenses mm. are getting smaller. Yeah, there are a few teams that are going to try to zig when everybody else is zagging and take a fullback or take an H back, like take a guy that can 
you know, catch the ball on leak deep down the field while also, you know, you're running ISO behind him. Like there's only a few guys in the league that you can really do that with. But if you think that either Tremble uh, or Mason can be that kind of guy, keep in mind, like Mason, when he was at the senior bowl, like I watched him beat linebackers one-on-one in the coverage drills. And not that those linebackers that were at the senior bowl were all like great in coverage. Like one of them was tough Borland. So it's like, duh like you can roll a trash can down the street and it would probably outrun Borland but he still did it like Borland's gonna be an NFL linebacker next year Borland's gonna see time on the field next year for somebody and he was beating him out in space so I, yeah. I think his athleticism translates personally yeah Mason is that guy he's 6'2 246 so short and wide 29 on the bench which is fine but a 6'8 three cone now he ran four seven seven in the in the forty, which is respectable, not amazing, but it's that three cone six eight nine. So here's a big guy who's really wide, loves to hit you, and can change direction. And like you said, the thing I that I love the most about what you said is you get one of those two hundred and twenty pound dimebackers versus Mason in the hole. I'm betting yeah, on Mason luck. nine times out of ten, right? Yeah. He's gonna clean that guy out and you know, that can be enough to spring that fast running back if you're using Mason as a as an H or fullback. Um, so he does have a role and certainly down near the goal line where space is tight. Again, he's got the agility, the frame and the power to just blast people out of gaps. And there's still a role for that. Yeah, moving on to the wide receivers here. Obviously, this wide receiver class is absolutely ridiculous. Um, but in terms of ball of clay receivers, you highlighted a few that is, honestly, a lot of people aren't really paying attention to other than maybe Nico Collins, but, um, the other guys on this list, you, you don't really hear their name mentioned. And that includes Jacob Harris. Like I only saw people really start to talk about him in the last couple of weeks, but like Simi Fajoko, like Brandon Smith, like I, I don't really see people talk about them, even though they are kind of freaky athletes in their own right. Yeah, this wide receiver class athletically is crazy. And and the guys right up at the top or the guys right up at the top, which is the scary thing. Jacob Harris led off with his 988 RAS score. But the next two guys, Jamar Chase and Terrace Marshall, both the LSU mm-hmm. guys, 981 and 976. So they're they're freaky athletes, but people know about them. And what you said is Nico Collins down the board in his it's funny because RAS is a balance between your size power your sort of explosive power and that's typically your jumps and your lifts and then your speed score so it's size speed and power combined that's the relative part of the athletic score so if you have uh one of those things that's greater than anybody else you can sort of jack up that score with nico collins said he's six four not too many wide receivers are six four but he lost a little weight before he tested, uh, especially from last year, and his speed scores dropped a little bit. So you're getting a 6'4 guy that's now moving better than he did at a heavier weight, and it's primed to get you a, an RAS you know, in the mid-nines. Great boundary receiver. Um, reminds me of another guy from Michigan, Peoples-Jones, right, who can get down. Yeah get up tall guy. And there's a role for that. We saw T Higgins come into the league and, and go to Cincinnati and win those sideline balls before his role in the offense started to expand a little bit before Joe Burrow got hurt, unfortunately, but they were starting to give him other balls. But in the beginning of the season, it was those down the sideline, jump up over the cornerback and catch that ball, get two feet in. 
And Nico Collins can be that kind of guy. Sammy Fajoko is the same sort of deal with Stanford. If you're looking at Davis Mills tape, like you're seeing Sammy Fajoko because he's huge. And you're like, who's that? That guy's a tree. Um, about 6'3", over 200 pounds. Same thing. Big wide receiver, good hands. Um, and then Brandon Smith is just a testing animal. <laughs> Like Brandon Smith, Iowa doesn't throw the ball that much. So it's not his fault that not everybody knows his name. Um, but this guy, his he set the world on fire with his testing numbers. So if you're looking at RAS, there's there's green scores, which are very good to elite. There's yellow scores, which are fine. And there are red scores um, that are not as good or, or below average. And it's all position adjusted. So we're not comparing wide receivers to, to offensive tackles. He's just at six foot 218, but his jumps are ridiculous. 39.5 vertical, 10.10 in the broad, Oof. 21 Oof. reps as a 218 pound wide receiver. Now he ran a 4.64, but one of the things in his speed score was his 10 yard split. So again, his explosion off the line is 156. And that is elite. That'll so, do. you know, it, that'll do, right? If you can beat people in the first three yards as a wide receiver, you've got a pretty good chance. It's not that he's going to carry down the field with that four, six speed. It's that he's got size, six foot, 218. He's got enough strength to beat press, 21 reps, a ton of explosion in his legs. And then you get a 10-yard split of 156. People stood up and took notice of Brandon Smith, even without the production at Iowa. And then Jacob Harris from UCF is, is interesting. Uh, he had a good pro day, but really people started talking about moving him to tight end because he's 6'5", 219, and had a really good score. Again, top RAS score in this entire wide receiver class, which we said is crazy athletic. But that's what really get people excited about a ball of clay is you look at the guy. See, here, go, here's what's weird. What? Here, here's what's weird. Kyle Pitts, oh, we should move him to wide receiver. Jacob Harris, oh, we should move him to tight end. It's the same fucking profile. Same dude. <laughs> same profile. Like, obviously, Kyle Pitts is just a better football player, but like. Yeah, by a lot. But it's sure. just like, oh, we, we see this guy who can be one or the other. Let's just move. Let's, let's change the letters by his name when they're going to play the same role. It's like, no, nah, he's a he's a tight end that you split out wide frequently because, A, there's very few linebackers that can run with him. And, B, if they try to play zone on you and put a corner, there's very few corners that can match up with him size. It's the same problem that Kyle Pitts gives defenses. So it doesn't matter whether you call him wide receiver or tight end. It literally doesn't. He's going to play in the same spot. Like, he's an X. Big slot tight end, big slot, whatever you want to call it, doesn't matter. Yeah, but we're I, talking I, about I a did... three yard designation here, right? But yes, <laughs> to the hash or right next to the tackle. Like, you know, again, you can motion him out three steps and have him run. And oh, look, he's a big slot now. No, he's a tight end that motioned out. It's like, it's it's like when uh, when Jimmy Graham was going through his contract negotiations and when he got franchise tag as a wide receiver or as a tight end, and his agent was like, Well, you had him in the slot over 50% of the time, he's a wide receiver. And it's like that was like the beginning of this whole show like, me the lie <laughs> debate. Yeah. And it's like the, now there's a, you know, a bunch of tight ends that barely ever play in line like like Ingram. Like I yep, can't have an Ingram on my lips. That's so funny. <laughs> like he's a he's a wide receiver. He's just a big one, but he is one. Um, yeah. And Jacob Harris, like you look at some of the the plays that he's made with that athleticism. I think Seth Kalina posted one where it's like he got a dude on a stutter go from the slot because he's a big slot. And it's like, are we sure we want to move him to, to inline tight end when he can do that? 
Yeah, do we want to try and hang, you know, probably legitimately 20 pounds on him to get him from 219 to about 240? Do we think he's going to lose explosion? And the funny thing, again, about RAS is that relative part, right? So his size grade obviously works for him at wide receiver. But again, tight end has a different profile. Tight end's typically taller than wide receivers. So he doesn't get as much out of his size if you move him to tight end in RAS. And he actually loses a bit because of that weight. So his RAS drops if you put him to tight end down to 9.29, which is still great. But if you were able to bulk him up, he would be closer to the tight end average and that would raise his score relative to other tight ends. So it's it's a lot of talk about how do we use a guy that's crazy tall and can catch the ball and who's pretty darn fast as well. So you might notice we didn't have any slots on this list. And it's because, again, being relative, the formula is not super kind to smaller receivers, guys that are 5'9", 5'10". They have a hard time scoring well in RAS, no matter how jitterbug quick or fast they are, because they're usually not terribly strong in their lifts and the size works against them. So even if they have great speed scores, really good explosion scores, their RAS overall usually comes out in the seven or the eights, which uh, most of these guys are in the nines. So uh, you didn't, we didn't get any slot receivers on the list. Doesn't mean there's no athletic slot receivers. There are, it just means for this particular formula, they don't, uh, they don't benefit a ton. You know, speaking of tight ends, why don't we move to the, the tight end class right now? And in this class, I think he ranked number one out of all tight end prospects since was it 1987, but he's not really being talked about because he's not really a tight end yet. He's a basketball yet. player <laughs> yet. He's yet. a basketball player at Tulane named Sammy Reyes, who got a 10 out of a possible 10 in RAS, like literally the most athletic tight end prospect in history in the same year that Kyle Pitts is coming out, mind you, who's also arguably the most athletic tight end prospect in history. Uh, he kind of headlines this uh, this freak show day three group of tight ends that you have here. Yeah, so everybody talks about Kyle Pitts. And, and if you're at all into the draft, you've definitely seen tape of Kyle Pitts, either watching defenders against him or just freaking out because Kyle Pitts is amazing. Kyle Pitts is amazing. He scored a 9.64 on the RAS, which is tremendous. It is easily above the rest of the tight ends in this class, except for Sammy Reyes, who might be the first name on this list uh, that you've not heard of. And again, it's because he's a two-lane power forward, 6'5", 260, benched 31 reps. Uh, again, for a guy 6'5", with long levers, that's nuts. 40-inch uh, mm-hmm. vertical, which at 260 pounds is a ridiculous athletic I mean, it's, athletic it's unheard, of. It's unheard uh, of. Over 10 feet in the broad jump. And you're talking about the guy runs 4'6", Four six five with a one six two split at two sixty. That's absurd. It is absurd, and you know he can catch. And there is a long history of tight ends coming from a basketball background. Antonio Gates, Tony Gonzalez, Jimmy, you know, Jimmy. These are all big power forwards, basketball players, right? Who sit in the paint, put a guy on their hip, put the other hand up, catch the ball, one dribble to the hoop, right? And it's a very similar skill set. Now, that being said, I've only seen tape of Reyes on a practice field against air. Uh, I haven't seen him, you know, when people are hitting him in the mouth, which is always the thing that people worry about in the basketball to football conversion. But as an athlete, he's ridiculous. I don't care what sport you have him in. Uh, Just running around in shells, you can see him. He has incredibly low body fat at that size. He is ripped and 
ridiculously much muscle and you know you know he's you know from it i don't much i don't know about you do you like watching basketball tape for football players <laughs> happens every once in a while right they're i like, mean oh. just you can see their feet that's the thing is like you can you, you can, can see how they move for sure and how can, they catch. can he open it yeah how how they catch but it's like can he open his fit uh can he open his hips like easily um you know are his because like, a basketball is 70 percent footwork especially for a power forward like it's not necessarily like easily translatable, but you can at least see how he moves as an athlete. And you can kind of just picture in your head of like a coach can work with that. It'll take a while. Like he's going to be a practice squad guy, almost guaranteed. Sure. But I mean, so was Jordan Mailata and the Eagles were, were patient and patient and patient. And it worked out like Mailata might actually start ahead of their first round pick that they got out of Wazoo a couple of years ago. Like it can work. You got to have yeah, faith in it. It can absolutely work. And my favorite thing, if I do have to watch basketball tape, is show me a fast break, right? Mm -hmm. Show me them on the perimeter. Somebody gets a rebound and they go dead set for the other end of the court and, and their their point guard throws them a lob. Like, that's what I want to see because that's the skill set I'm looking for. How are you? Can you catch in traffic? Can you convert, right? And, you know, Reyes is just an incredible athlete. And if he has a taste for contact, he'd be a ridiculous special teamer at that height weight speed um mm -hmm. the other guys on the list you probably haven't heard of either but we have an iowa tight end how weird is that i was cranked some tight ends out this is not that guy but sean buyer who went to iowa 8.77 ras uh that ranks him 114 out of 928 tight ends between 1987 and 2021 that have gone through this this measuring process so he's got a really good athletic profile again production was extremely limited at iowa sound familiar should um iowa doesn't <laughs> use their tight ends a ton um but buyer is a guy that quietly is getting a lot of buzz because a this tight end class is not great and he's got a ton of physical potential and people aren't so worried about the production because they can explain it away using the iowa system um so sean buyer is a guy to keep an eye on and then the last one smaller school guy central missouri zach davidson um big height weight speed guy production is against a lower level of competition like all sort of division two division three type players you, you've got to project him athletically and say I'm going to have some patience. They're going to start out on the practice squad. They're going to start out maybe as a special teamer if we get lucky. Um, can they work themselves in versus competition? It's great to have some of the lower level all-star games for this kind of thing, right? Uh, we didn't get those this year, so we didn't get to see any, you know, uh, great Zach Davidson footage of him beating up on other players. Um, but athletically, he can certainly do it. Again, a couple names, maybe three names that you haven't heard, uh, but all crazy athletes in terms of what they can get done and again if they land in the right system and they have a coach who believes in them a couple of years from now you could be hearing about one of these guys being the number two tight end on a team that uses you know 12 personnel a lot and maybe they have a three four hundred yard season with five or six scores and it came from round six round seven or udfa um offensive tackles now i think everybody has heard all three of these names a lot but that is, that is the nature of this offensive tackle class where even though they've heard all their names, they're still all possibly going to be day two picks. You could argue that Cosme and Christensen will go day one. Would not surprise me at all. Also possible to go day two. And then Spencer Brown is just, I mean, there, there's athletes and then there's Spencer Brown. 
So why don't you take us through all three of these guys? Yeah, so we'll start with Spencer Brown because in terms of ball of clay, he was the inspiration for this list. And I had a bunch of folks on Twitter reach out to me when we sort of leaked this idea on a previous podcast and say, you got to talk about Spencer Brown. And I was like, check, no problem. Spencer Brown was actually the genesis of this whole project. I was like, maybe we'll just talk about some offensive tackle guys. And then I got into digging through the RS database. And I was like, no, I think I could get guys at every position. So, but Spencer Brown was clearly the impetus for this. Spencer Brown is six foot eight, 310 pounds. And he can move. He was at the senior bowl and he didn't win every rep, which is not surprising. Uh, He's got some polishing he needs to do. But again, that's what balls of clay are all about is forming, polishing, taking away the excess, making something out of what's there at the core. And if you want to talk about traits at a core for an offensive lineman, wingspan, height, reach, the ability, speed, Spencer Brown's your guy. And a 10 speaks for itself. He can't get any better. He's at the very uh, top of the offense. Have you ever seen a sub? Percentage. You ever seen a sub seven three cone? Like a sub seven three cone, which in that's, itself is rare for a six eight tackle. That's over three hundred pounds. Like sometimes like you see those guys that are like six seven and they're like two eighty five, and you're like, so he's a tight end that never finished bulking up. Like Spencer is fully over three hundred, and it's you know six eight makes it worse because the lovers are longer, but just over three hundred. That level three cone is ridiculous as an athletic flabbergasting. Yeah, staggering. And this tackle class is bonkers, top to bottom. Guys like Penny Sewell and Rayshon Slater. We've all seen, you know, Rayshon Slater squatting 460 pounds or whatever. Front squatting. Front squatting. Which is <laughs> front the, squatting. Which is the <laughs> that's the that's the reveal, right? That's the spoiler in that video is everybody thinks he's gonna, you know bucket up on his shoulders and he just front squats it and you're like okay that's <laughs> that's mutant stuff so those guys are incredibly physically talented but spencer brown not a polished product but if you think offensive line coaches aren't salivating a bunch of them now, again some people don't like projects they want the guy with all the production all the traits that came from a school that uses a system very much like they do that's what they want other coaches are like the looking at the jordan Milatas of the world who are like this guy's a tremendous one percent athlete let's see if i can teach him to play tackle in the nfl and i i'd say spencer brown is the sort of poster child for this list cosme we talked about at the top and again we're not talking about the fact enough that a guy that's 314 sam cosme is 314 he ran a 48740 there are tight ends mm. in this class at 255 260 that are running in the four eights He's 314 pounds and he ran a 48740. That ridiculous athletic feat from a tackle. Um, enough said about him. And then Brady Christensen, I've talked about at length. He's one of those guys that I'm really looking for. Um, our guest in our inaugural interview for draft season, Brandon Thorne, is enamored with Mr. Christensen, especially in a wide zone system. His ability to hit targets out in space is largely due to the athleticism. He's a 9.84 on RAS. Brady Christensen is a guy that can get out and hit guys in space. Yes, there are some pass set things, but he was a protector for Zach Wilson. So if you watch that Zach Wilson film, that's Brady Christensen. Um, again, a guy that mm, could very well go in, you know, round two. I don't think he's going to be around one guy, but I could well, see him well in round two. Th- like, there's a team. <laughs> There's a team at 31 who really needs a tackle. Yep. And they ain't waiting for round two. 
You don't they, think? They're huh? not. Nope. Well, there's no so way. many tackles. I think they can get another one in round one at that spot. Right. I don't think. I just. Person, I don't know. There, there's there's going to be such a run on tackles in the first 15 picks of round two. They're going to be like, we're not waiting. We can't wait. Yeah. It, 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 they they we'll have see. to take one. Yeah, they absolutely have to take one, but I, I think there's other names on the board at that point that they might want. Point is, Christensen is really good, and they're, I think oh, yeah. NFL teams value him more highly than the sort of draft public or the public in general. And he's going to be one of those names, I think, that surprises a lot of people with where he goes. I'm telling you, 31. Okay. I'm calling my I'm shot. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm, I'm calling saying. my shot. Or maybe 32. Because Donovan Smith is okay, but he's Donovan Smith. And I'm just saying, I don't think he makes it out of round one. To somebody that athletic with that much good tape at a premium position, calling my shot here. I think he goes round one. What do you call me if he does make it out of round one? Because I kind of like that bet. I bet he goes around. I bet he goes later than round one. So after I'll, I'll, I'll get you, I'll get you a six or a red trolley to take home. Ah, well, if hell, he goes round two, we're good. Um, but, but, but if he goes round one, you're sending me dead guy. I oh, need yeah. some dead guy ale. Cause I no can't worries. get any down here. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah. No, it's we, not down here. I just, I was just at bedmo cause I wanted to get some. Oh, right. When they didn't have any, they don't have a total wine. Like I, I guess I'm just okay. far enough out of the distribution. All right. Uh, well, anyway, ball of clay yeah. interior guys. Oh, um, and this is. <laughs> so Quinn Miners jumps out to me immediately because I love Quinn Miners. Like I love everything about him. I love his aura. I love his personality. I love his beer gut. Not to mention he's a freak athlete too. He's one of my favorite offensive. No, he's one of my favorite people. In this draft class, period. I love him. Do you, Quinn know, do you know he owns a snake? Of course he does. Of course. He's the gardener, he's the gardener Minshew of offensive linemen. <laughs> Can you imagine if he and Minshew end up on the same team? Like that's that's oh my god dreams and ghostbusters. That'll be amazing. Oh my I need a I need a just a, a, a constant 24-7 webcam of just their hijinks all the time. Uh, and then you got Sedarius Hutcherson from South Carolina and Trey Smith, one of my favorite guards from Tennessee, one of Duke Manyweather's guys who I place a premium on. Pretty much if you work with Duke pre-draft, I automatically assume you're going to be a better rookie than you were in college because he gets dudes ready to play. Uh, so and Duke raves about him. Uh, you know, Jeff Schwartz raves about him. So I'm I'm decently high on Trey Smith and had a much higher RAS than I expected, to be honest. Yeah, Trey Smith is getting it from his size and his explosion. He, he's not a particularly fast dude, but he is a massive dude with really good power. And one of the guys I think is probably not getting enough press. He had some very serious health issues in the middle of his career at Tennessee. Seems to be fully healed from those. Um, and I think is just kind of slipping below the radar for that. Because if you look at the tape, he mauls guys. He is an absolute bulldozer. He's a massive human being. He carries that weight well and can move it and other people with it so trey smith 991 on the ras score and almost zero buzz you hear about you know ben cleveland who's another crazy athlete again tons of crazy athlete in the interior class as well Miners 998 like just what he did at the senior bowl was not like some guy getting lucky it is a high level athlete in a package with a half shirt and a beer gut 
who's bowling guys over because he's he happened to go to Wisconsin Whitewater, but he is a top one percent athlete at the interior offensive line position. And then Sedarius Hutchinson probably Hutcherson uh, is the one name that folks probably haven't heard of out of South Carolina. Massive dude, nine point eight nine. Definitely size carrying that RAS score for him, but can move yeah, at that say, size. That's, that's mostly size. <laughs> yeah, it, it and again is if you go and say, oh, I'm gonna look up, I'm gonna look at film in this guy. How's this Hutcherson guy? Like his film's okay. Like I think he has a future playing guard in the NFL, probably as a rotational backup on the interior offensive line, but uh what you can't find <laughs> walking around on the street is people with his size like there are only it, it goes back to bill parcells planet theory right that there's only so many guys <laughs> on the planet that are that size um yeah. six three three twenty one bench pressed 35 reps here's the scary part <laughs> as if that part wasn't scary enough already he's 321 pounds he had a 31 and a half inch vertical which is great for 320 like 321 itself like people think like oh like if here's the thing a lot of people when they think of guards they think of guards as like 330 pounds like 330 is rare 321 is also like on the upper end of of modern guards like especially with like the prevalence of outside zone like a lot of guards in the league are like 305 310 like 321 itself is already big and rotund and to put up 31 and a half as one of the thicker guards in the league is that's something to me. And he ran a five flat, which is also great for 321. 21 running off, he ran a 5.0140. As an athletic feat, regardless of what do you th- what do you think about his coordination or his tape or, or anything else, like 321 moving at five flat. I challenge you to go out to your nearest football field and try and run five flat. I bet you don't weigh 321 pounds. <laughs> you won't come anywhere close. Imagine that much mass moving at that speed. Sedarius Hutchinson is a guy that, again, we talked about it last year, that that sweet spot of third or fourth round is you get guards that can play, right? And somebody's going to take a chance on him in that sort of mm, uh, third, I think, might be a little rich, but it could be into third Fourth, fifth round range, they're going to jump on a guy like Darius Hutcherson and say, you know, I can <laughs> power system, right? Just plug him into a place like Pittsburgh. <laughs> you know, he just. Yeah. I, I just looked it up. Uh, 321 pounds is in the 82nd percentile of all interior offensive line prospects in the last 20 years. So that's a big boy. <laughs> Yeah, like he's that, not super tall. And that's the other thing. He's only 6'3". A lot of these guys we're talking about now, 6'3 is pretty tall for regular folks. But for football offensive linemen, you're talking about 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", around 6'8", right? These guys are really tall. So 6'3 is a bit compact. 321, he's built like a square, but he can move. Five flat in the 40, yeah. nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, that's like Shaq, uh, Shaq Mason, like athletic profile, where yeah. it's like, that dude's a, a walking, talking tree stump. <laughs> and I, I love him for it. Um, let's go to interior defensive line while we're on the interior. A few guys here that, uh, honestly, I haven't watched. I, I have not watched any of You're these three. Tree. 
Oh, man. You have two really good pieces of tape and one piece of tape where you'll probably go, oh, man, that guy's a really good athlete, but he could use some he could use some polish. Um, yeah, this so defensive tackle uh, again, uh, position that's not great in this year's draft. There are some good players, but it's not, you know, you're not looking at the Derek Browns or the Quinn and Williams. Like those guys are typically not there. Um, these guys are down the board. So it's Jonathan Marshall from Arkansas with a 9.99, which again means he just missed that 10 of super elite. Bobby Brown, the third from Texas A&M, 9.82 right behind him. And Taquan Graham from Texas, who is probably the most popular name on this list, 9.68. If you're getting feeling that Texas recruits athletes, (laughs) yep, it's it's a thing. We've we've got an offensive tackle. We've got a defensive tackle. We've got one of their edge prospects. Texas Texas gets athletes, not surprising. Um, Jonathan Marshall is flashes at his size. big defensive tackle but you see him penetrate it's not necessarily like a three tech penetration like where it's a small guy that's super quick but you see these athletic flashes on his tape and you go who is this guy and again consistency is a thing technique can be a thing but in terms of a building block a ball of clay he absolutely qualifies um uh bootleg listener actually said wait till you get to jonathan marshall tape and so when i was going through the defensive tackles a couple of weekends ago uh i did the top four or five then i was like oh, okay i got the right oh, i'll pick up jonathan marshall somebody said jonathan Whew. yeah there's some flash moments on jonathan marshall's tape um and then bobby brown is a guy that uh warren sap who knows a thing or two about playing defensive tackle said mid-season he said that guy could play that bobby brown kid that guy can play and i was like okay so I put a little check next to his name, said when I get around to him, uh, Bobby Brown's about 6'4", over 300 pounds, and uh, shows um, he's the Jamie Newman of defensive tackles. <laughs> right? Huh. When uh, you see everything come together for him on a rep, it's awe-inspiring. You're like, oh, my God, that's an all-pro defensive tackle. He doesn't do it all the time. But when everything comes together, the timing, the hand placement, the power, the speed, he wrecks folks like he is. There's enough there that defensive line coaches around the league are not missing Bobby Brown. Um, He's been elevating in terms of public perception over the last, I would say, two and a half, three weeks. Um, I think he's been that high on draft boards since probably before December, right? The defensive line. Well, if he's coach, at AM, that means if he's at AM, that means scouts have known about him for two years already. <laughs> oh, for sure. They just wanted to make sure he carried through and, and that he was still that guy. And there are people who are like, give me the Bobby Brown <laughs> because <laughs> he is. If you were drawing up a defensive tackle in a lab, it would look a lot like Bobby Brown. It's ridiculous. And and he does play to that. It's not just, you know, looks great, doesn't play like that. You see the flashes on tape, but you don't see him all the time. And he needs to, he needs a little more variety, right? But all the physical tools are there. And if you can get a good defensive line coach that can coach him up with a little bit of variation, look out. He's going to be very effective in the league. And then Taquan Graham is a pure athlete a little bit lighter uh they call him a defensive tackle but he rotates kind of between interior three out um, exterior they'll put him out as far as five outside um and you see him just whip people athletically like he's fast he's a little bit lighter he's real strong um 
looking for a little bit more consistency with hands or a little bit more variation and consistency with hands. But on the plays where he makes plays, you just kind of go, okay, guys, his size can't normally move like that. And again, Texas has no problem recruiting athletes and Taquan Graham is that. So, you know, there are coaches out there who are like, give me that guy. I can make him do what we need done in our system. Um, So it's all three of those guys are down the board, but all three of them are nutty athletes. Let me ask you a question since you're the one who's watched all of them. Do any of them go ahead of Milton Williams? That's an interesting question because I watched Milton Williams uh, right after Marshall and right before Brown. <laughs> so I have so a just athlete, sort of... athlete, athlete, athlete. Yeah. <laughs> and I was most pumped before I started. I knew more about Milton Williams athletic profile. Um, so I was more excited for him as that kind of raw athlete, just to see him blow people away with physical skill. And I actually saw less of it on his tape than I saw on Marshall or Brown's tape. Interesting. And I, they're also bigger than Milton Williams. Cause Milton's yeah, more Milton of like a Milton Williams size profile makes him a very interesting fit. He's got to be in the right place. Now, this being said, if Milton Williams ends up with the right defensive line coach, because Ooh, yeah. he's like Bobby Brown. If he does it all right, it's awe-inspiring. There's not many guys on the planet that can do that. He doesn't do it all the time. He needs I, – I know this sounds like a broken record, but this is the ball of clay thing, right? You're dealing with athletes who are going to go in the lower rounds because they don't have a counter move because they just push into people. Although they're big and strong and fast, you need to get them, need to get them using those skills you see when they absolutely blow up a play. I posted one of Bobby Brown. Um where he (laughs) so they have that little h back lined up on his side of the formation and he Mm -hmm. hits guard hard enough that he opens him completely and blows him into the puller and that was supposed to be the gap where the running back was coming through (laughs) so the (laughs) back shows up at the scene of this traffic accident and is like oh my god and falls over (laughs) And Bobby Brown just like literally blew through this guy, knocked him into the puller, saw the running back fall over and goes, yeah, (laughs) you're just like, that?" it was literally a straight line, but he hit the guard hard enough that he knocked it back into the pullers lane. And that mess just tumbled into the running back and he just kept running and put his hands up. And you're like, holy cow. Like I said, it's like Hulk smash stuff on Twitter. I mean, he just bowled through the line completely wrecked the play didn't even tackle the guy but you got to credit him with it i guess i mean nobody even clowny javen clowny used to do that all the time where it's like you might not make the tackle but he'll make your offensive lineman make the tackle and that's oh, yeah, good enough. Just, <laughs> yeah and that's what you see when brown puts it all together and there are defensive line coaches who are salivating about that potential and and you know warren's not wrong dude can play let's keep it with uh defensive line here slash Outside linebacker, I guess you could say we'll talk about edge as a whole, kind of looping guys in that stand up or play with their hand in the dirt here. Um, I think obviously the haste line, uh, the headliner, excuse me, is going to be Jason OA from Penn State, who's yeah. like already building a, a legend for himself just in terms of the like, pure athletic profile. Uh, there, there's a couple guys behind him on this list, though, that in a normal class that didn't have Jason OA would be seen as like top tier like tippy top athletes uh like joseph osai particular how many outside linebackers do you see with 40 plus inch verts uh joe tryon is like the poster child for pocket crushing edge rushers 
like there's a there's a bunch of dudes in this class. It's kind of a low key, decent edge class. Like again, not not a whole lot of huge names at the top, but all these guys are not just draftable, but I think like actual quality prospects that you're going to get either late first round or outside the first round. Yeah, most of these guys are going to be outside. Oa is the exception. Oa is going in the first round because he's such, and we talked about him at the top of the podcast, that he's just such an exceptional athlete. He just breaks the mold in so many ways in what is a very athletic position as well. If you're saying you're the most athletic edge player, like athletic edge players are athletic by definition. If you're saying you're the best of that alpha group and you're standing out, I mean, you run a four or three at whatever he weighs, 260, and it's just like, okay you just don't incomprehensible you just don't see guys move like that and again always production at penn state if you've watched his tape and sort of scratched your head and said why are people talking about him in the first round this is the ball of clay prospect on the defensive side this is the guy that people are like he's daniel hunter that's the comparison right away had no sacks hunter had one his senior year they just ooze athleticism and there are defensive line coaches out there who are in love with that and are like give me that guy give me that guy nobody can move like him i can make him move better than the guy across from him and that's going to create mismatches for me so oa is that headliner he will go in the first the rest of these guys probably not going in the first Tryon might sneak in um and then uh osai could but i really don't think that he will so uh, Janarius Robinson and Josh Kando from Florida State are their edges, both of their edges from Florida State this year. And again, Florida State, <laughs> being in Florida, doesn't have any trouble recruiting athletes, kind of like Texas, right? No, you, a lot you, of guys you throw State. a rock and you're going to hit a five-star athlete. Like, right. <laughs> I, I think if you drive like a 20-minute circle from wherever your campus is and hit all the Friday night games, you've got probably 25 prospects that are going to go Division One. Um, Florida's chock full of football talent and Janarius Robinson and Josh kind of, they both fit that profile. They are big. They are fast. They are strong. You see them on tape and you're like, why is this guy not a first round prospect? Look, the defense wasn't great for FSU this year. Again, they had a ton of athletes that got a safety. who's crazy athletes going to get drafted. Um, you know, got a corner who's going to go maybe first round top second for sure. Like, Again, throw a stick at FSU's defense, you're going to hit a ton of top-tier athletes, and both of their edges are top-tier athletes. Neither one of them produced, and we talked about this a lot last year, like on our Defensive Gems episode, these pairs of edges, right? Notre Dame's got a pair of edges this year. Uh, Ogan Dick and Dalen Hayes. Florida State's got a pair and Robinson and Kendo, and you see this, that uh, Pitt's got a pair and Weaver and Jones, so we've got the same thing. We've got three schools with pairs of edges that are going to go. Um these guys make flash plays, both of them big, strong. Um, they need they need to use it to learn their gifts uh, more consistently. But if you're looking at athletic profile, big, strong, fast guys with wide frames, uh, both those guys qualify. Talked about OA. Ellerson Smith from Northern Iowa, I put out a tweet about him. He is not getting the love he deserves. I watched him this weekend going through edges. Um, He's tremendous. He is not as big and strong. He is a little rangier. Think the Leonard Floyd model, right? Big wingspan, Mm -hmm. not as much mass. 
crazy athletic. We talked about basketball players, uh, you know, soccer players, right, folks? Great coordination. Ellerson Smith is quick, quick with his hands, strong, very agile, can change directions at his size and speed. He is tall and rangy. Um, he whipped guys at the senior bowl. So I put up his RAS score, which was 9.72, and said, pay attention, that's way up there. And then I put up a video in the senior bowl where he whipped uh, in order Dylan Radden's um, – James Hudson from Cincinnati, uh, a tackle from Cal, and then came back and whipped Spencer Brown, who's on this list as a as an athlete, and just cleanly mm-hmm. beat that senior bowl one on ones. Um, just didn't even really look like he was breaking a sweat. Kind of looked like warm ups, and these are competitive one on ones where he was just like ba bam and a bye and hi, and the guy that's playing the quarterback is like, "Yo, okay, you got here really fast." Um, he he Ellers- had more uh, senior bowl wins than Peyton Turner, I think. And Peyton Turner is going to go like four yeah. rounds higher than him. Ellerson Smith is. Mm, and when I put it up yeah. there in classic Twitter fashion, bunch of people were like, Shh, I want him to drop. Stop talking about him. Can't stop talking about him. He's amazing. Um, Joseph Asai, again, Texas athlete, 40 inch vert, outside linebacker, um, had some wins against some very high profile tackles, Devin Jenkins. Um, and then Joe Tryon opted out, but if you listen to uh, his linemate, um, Levi Onwuzurike, Onwuzurike can't say enough about Tryon. And I sent you a picture of what Joe Tryon spent his year off doing. And it seems like he pretty much ate right and worked out. That was yep. his job. And All you can he, ask for, by the way. Yeah, he looks uh very different than he did when he was tearing up defenses in 2019 so if you watched tryon's tape and you're like well he didn't have as many wins as i wanted to yeah take a picture of what he did to his body in his off season opting out in 2020 um there's a lot of people excited about tryon because he hits all the boxes for height weight speed that again uh, you said pocket crushing edge like if you're putting together an edge profile physically it looks a lot like joe tryon and he had pretty good production looks like he's gotten really serious about his diet and exercise and he's going to hit the league. He's got a chance to be one of those guys that comes out and has a lot of production from this class. All So there's a theme this year. It's like an underrated theme of the draft, which is pack 12 guys that didn't play that are going to go way lower than they should yeah. because people forgot about them. And like, there's, there's a couple more that we'll get to later in this show that like fit that bill. But like you look at through like the, the t- like I'm, I'm putting together my position rankings right now for, for film room. And like, it is littered with PAC 12 guys that opted out. Cause you know, the PAC 12 like season was a, a, a mess. Like nobody knew if they were going to play. And then they did. And it was like six games. Like, so a bunch of guys were just like, screw it. I'm going to go work out like Joe Tryon. And that's all you yeah. can ask for from a guy like Joe Tryon. It's like, Hey, we, we've seen you put some good tape. Like let's just remake your body. And, uh, and, you know, be ready for the draft in like 18 months. And he clearly is, uh, you know, if medicals check out and I, I don't know if he's able to do private workouts or anything like that, but like, that's a dude that just looking at how his body has been remade, like you can see it, like you can see actual evidence of, of what he's been doing the last six or seven months. Uh, there's going to be a lot of coaching staffs that look at him and say, yeah, I want to take a chance on that. There is one more guy I want to throw out there. I'm going to throw you a curveball. Sure. You didn't put him, you, you didn't put him, but I would. There's I a would lot of guys him. I left off the list that I was like, man, this guy could make it, but I didn't want it to be eight guys per position because we already do two hour podcasts. Of course. Um, this is 
somebody who did play, but I think he's flying under the radar. He's like that, you know, uh, honorary annual Eddie Jackson award winner for broke something. And so people forgot about him. That's Charles Snowden from Virginia, who's like six, seven, two forty. I mean, speaking of like, you know, Twiggy Leonard Floyd build, but super twitched up, uh, really good motor, excellent pursuit speed. Uh, Again, with, his build sometimes he can get dug out a little bit in the run game but he's so lanky and so twitchy and and i'm not i'm not talking like thin and undersized like a barkevious mingo like he actually does have have some power um i really like charles snowden and again because i think he broke his ankle i think that was the the injury like he didn't get to work out or do pro day or anything like that but like he was expected to really light it up like especially in like the explosive drills and everything like that and for a six seven guy potentially hitting a sub seven three cone which is what i heard he would have hit if he was healthy like there's something there and because he's hurt he's gonna go day three like it's almost guaranteed he's gonna go day three and i wouldn't be surprised if he goes to a team that's like a a three four team or like a hybrid team that lets him stand up on the edge where you know it's like a it's almost like an Alton Robinson type thing where it's like, he's going to go to a team on day three and then end up being their most productive pass rusher. Not that Alton Robinson was their most productive pass rusher, but he played a lot better than I think some people were expecting as a rookie. Whereas you or I were like, nah, we saw what he did at Syracuse. Like that makes perfect sense. Yeah. He was always, Alton Robinson was always this close to Syracuse. And that was the thing is he came in as this hugely hyped recruit that was going to Syracuse and he just never kind of ticked it over and had that, you know, 15 sack season in college, but he had everything you needed kind of from day one. And the, and the frustration was that he didn't put it all together. Snowden is a, um, Snowden is a really interesting guy. Are you getting a lot of questions about Snowden? Like on Twitter? Oh, all the time. Yeah. All the time. He, I, he, he was, he Snowden was is I, probably I one of the guys movie. that is down the list, way down the list that I'm getting more, traffic about more frequency yeah. than almost anybody else people like charles snowden best linebacker in this draft you got to talk about him and i did snowden really early and so for those of you who don't know he went to virginia he's a linebacker but uh played up on the line ish. quite a bit yeah ish is is the best way to put that he's six six uh and a little 243 he did 21 reps on the bench again he didn't do any of the um agility drills because he's still healing up uh so he has that again injury kind of under the radar but it's like there's my thing with snowden is i couldn't put my finger on like what was best for him he can do a lot of things and he does do a lot of things on tape at different times get out clog up passing lanes with that huge length um you'll see him occasionally like take on a tackle from the side and really sort of set the edge again get a lockout um and occasionally you'll see him win inside, which is is kind of odd. Uh, but he didn't do any of that. Um, it, it didn't seem like he did any of it at like a premium level. There wasn't one thing that I was like, that's his deal, right? That's his mm-hmm. that's his trump card. He's going to beat everybody with that thing, whether it was a move or a place he played very well in the field. Um, they moved him around. He did a lot of things, super versatile, crazy long frame. Um, and I think there's a role there, but it's going to take some unlocking. It's going to take uh, that sort of ball claim mentality that I can take this guy and find him a role that is equal to this kind of strange frame. But again, a talented, 
talented guy, talented athlete. I'm going to try and focus him up. I'm not going to move him all over the place uh, and see if I can find a thing that he does really well in whatever, if it's a 4-3 DE, if it's an outside sort of range. I can see him playing a little bit of Leo, uh, like in a Seattle system. We're talking about Watson, right? So he can do a lot of things. What I was looking for with Snowden is what does he do really well or, or better than anybody else? And I didn't see Stunts. that. Yeah, I, I I see how he moves on stunts, and I'm like, yeah, there's something there. Like a, yeah, a, a, de- a defense. A lot of things there, right? And it's little yeah. flashes, and he doesn't do any of it really poorly. Some guys that get moved around, you're like, stop making him do that. Um, I'm thinking about like uh, Mukuamu, who was the corner at South Carolina, but this year because of mm. some injury issues, played safety. And it's like, don't make him play safety. He's not a safety. Get him back up and press because he's 6'3", and he crushes guys at the line. But as a safety, he kind of looked lost, which is understandable. Um, so with Snowden, I'm like, he doesn't look bad doing any of it. And he makes plays in each of those spots. But I was looking for that thing that was like, how does this – freakish athlete really shine and where can i put him to sort of maximize that and i didn't have an answer for that doesn't mean he can't do things he can do a lot of things i know where i want him where do you because want him? i do think he's he's fluid but he also is able to use that length and very underrated strength in my opinion on stunts in terms of just clearing dudes out and then you know he's got hip flexibility to then kind of bend and flatten on a stunt because sometimes stunts can kind of put you in awkward angles and if you get picked up in a certain way like sometimes you kind of almost overrun your landmarks and you have mm-hmm. you have to be athletic enough to then flatten and kind of get back to where you're supposed to be like there's an art form to stunts like there's a it's not just like i run here you run here like there's some guys that are terrible at it there's some guys that just <laughs> their brain does not uh, i'm laughing I'm, I'm not laughing at your pain i'm just laughing because i watched several guys who were terrible at it this weekend and i was like god that's not how you do that and like i never ran stunts like i wasn't a defensive lineman and i'm like no no you don't do that <laughs> like they like they don't understand like hey you're setting a pick it's basketball like if you're setting the stunt, like some guys don't know how to do it. Some guys just don't know how to finish a stunt because they're not athletic enough to do it. Like Snowden, I think, is a guy that, that just gets it. And so I want him to go to Miami and play oh, yeah. that that Van Noy, oh, Van yeah. Ginkle kind of role because he's more talented than Van Ginkle. Van Ginkle right now is, a, I think, a, just a more disciplined player like he knows the role he, he he just makes a play every single week like every when we were doing game re- recaps we'd always have a note of like van ginkle did something like, again <laughs> but i think you can put him in that role and like oh he's i like that than ginkle he's bigger than ginkle i like that he, fit in general because of what miami did with that um the group right the the room mm-hmm. with the defensive line and we talked about it starting before the season how they were stocking it with different players of all kinds and they were just going to rotate them in and keep them fresh and they were getting cast offs they got Shaq Lawson right they're gonna they're gonna bring all these people together who had disparate skills and play them for two or three plays and then pull out other guys and we saw that they just attacked they ran zero all the time they flexed they went wide they went tight and like Snowden I could see fitting in like two or three of those spaces really well. I know I said specializing, but now I'm thinking about that. That's a great call. Why don't we look at uh, inside linebackers now? Um, a few names that I think everybody's probably heard of by now, but that doesn't make them any less athletic. Uh, Jamin Davis, who just tested off the charts. I mean, I, I knew he was an athlete, but I, I didn't expect that. Uh, yeah. Baron Browning, uh, who also tested off the charts. I'll get, I'll, I'll reserve my thoughts on Browning just as a player after you talk about him. Cause I'm 
I think I'm lower on him than a lot of people. And then uh, Buddy Johnson, who's one that I have not actually watched yet. So I'm going to need you to educate me on him. Sure. Uh, Jamin Davis, again, uh, it's funny. Jamin Davis is sort of the, the anti-cautionary tale for players entering the NFL draft. He went to the NFL draft advisory board. They said he was a fourth or fifth rounder. I think that's fairly accurate off tape. And I'm sure that's going to just get my mentions turned into a hellscape. And that's fine. Like if you look at Jamin Davis, especially his last year's tape, the, the chances he was going to get drafted anywhere above the fourth. Are you were, talking 20, 2019 or 2020? 2019. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And you look at 2020 and you see some flashes, but as an overall like linebacker prospect, he does not have a polished game. He makes incredible plays because he is an athlete. And then he went out and tested even better than that. Like if I had had to watch his tape and like pencil in a, a, a pro day card for him, I would have been a tick or two low on all of his scores. Like he blew away all the measurements I thought. And that's really what uh, we mentioned him at the top of the podcast. Cause that's, what's going to push him into. Some people are saying like low first round consideration. This is a guy again, that the NFL draft advisory board that is pretty accurate said you're a fourth or fifth rounder. And there's talk now of him going in the first. He is an uber athlete, and that is what's pushing him up. It's not the tape. People are finding stuff in his tape and saying, see, see, I can get that out of him all the time. But if you watch the breadth of his tape, he doesn't do that stuff all the time. Like he's I, I could tell you this, though. I think he is. I don't know if he's going to go first because it's linebacker. Let's be real. Um, I think he's going to go a lot higher in the fourth. Because oh he will for sure. When I uh, when I put out that I said that Owusu-Koromoa was my top rated linebacker, I got a text from a buddy in the league who's in our front office, and he's like, "I I agree," and this this this. Here's why why why. And we were just kind of chatting back about Owusu-Koromoa, and then like literally thirty seconds in the conversation, one of the first things he said was, "By the way, check out the guy from Kentucky. He's awesome." <laughs> and I think that is a litmus test for how. NFL front offices view players because there are also NFL front offices. I'll bet you who wouldn't touch Jamin Davis before the third round, regardless of his athletic profile, because they just, they're not looking for undisciplined linebackers. Now I'm not saying one's right and one's wrong. I'm saying there's a, there's a range of opinions in the NFL and some folks are like, give me that diamond in the rough. I can work with that because not many guys it's true physically can do what he could do. Um, very, very few, it turns out. I uh, use a 9.93 in his athletic score. And one of the very few th- that can do those things athletically is Baron Browning, um, who I am higher on than you. Uh, 245 pounds. So a lot of these linebacker prospects, especially these days, we're talking about 225, 230, 235, fully 245 pounds, 6783 cone at just about 250, 40-inch bird. Yeah nutty and some of the plays again that ohio state linebacking core has four guys in this draft and all four are probably going to get drafted which is ridiculous uh for any school in any position group um but it was against one of your favorites friarmouth and they put mm-hmm. baron browning out in coverage they split friarmouth out wide baron browning goes with him they don't send the big safety they don't send the big slot corner they send a linebacker he plays him like a cornerback and gets a PBU in the end zone, jumping up in front of him and literally batting the ball away. Has skills that make him look like a defensive back at 250 pounds. Now, 
Does he do it all the time? No. But again, can you find 245-pound guys that run a 6.73 cone and jump 40 inches? Yeah, can't. And he's got some pretty good tape at a high-level school to back it up. Some injury questions for sure, and I could absolutely see that dropping him. But in terms of height, weight, speed, plus some tape that looks really good, I like Browning's tape better than Jamin Davis's tape by quite a bit. Um, it's a guy that makes the list. And so, go ahead. I, 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 you and I are completely flipped on Jamin Davis and Baron Browning because I, I, I personally like like Jamin Davis's instincts. Like he's aggressive. I get that. He's super aggressive. Um, he takes chances. Like he will wrong arm a pulling guard and shoot back door <laughs> with some linebacker coaches will say, "Are you fucking insane?" But he'll make the play. He's aggressive. I'll give you that. I I just <laughs> I I that. like his instincts more than Baron Browning, who you look at him mm-hmm. as an athlete and you just you you're waiting for him to do something, and like occasionally, more. like yeah, not even like you put him out wide on Friar Muth where it's like it's a one on one, go be an athlete. But in terms of like playing in the structure of the defense, like I think the reason why he didn't play nearly as many snaps as Pete Warner is because Pete Warner just knows what he's doing. Yeah, and like Pete Warner, like that's somebody I would also put on this list who I think is going to be the the best out of these Ohio State linebackers. I think he's going to be the first one drafted. Dude had like a 39 and a half inch vert as a 6'2", 235, 240-pound linebacker, which is also insane. Uh-huh. But he also just has much better instincts. He's a phenomenal blitzer. Uh, he's like a top 6% athlete in terms of RAS score. Like, yeah. I, I just pulled it up right now. He had a 949 RAS, which is Yeah, no, I love amazing. Warner. And if you could, this is the classic, if you could, Warner's really good. Like, I think Warner is the best package out of the four. Hilliard yeah. made some plays, but his athletic profile is is lower. Browning's athletic profiles through the roof, 998, but didn't make as many plays as Warner. And Tough Borland just can't run for most roles at yeah. linebacker in the NFL. So you're talking about the top three and really about the top two Warner. And this is the classic. If you could take Warner's head and put it on Baron Browning's body and there was no injury concerns, you'd have the ultimate 10 line. You'd have right? Luke Keekley. Yes, <laughs> you would. And I absolutely agree that Warner is, if I was picking between the two um, that I would take Warner because he's, he's cleaner medically from what I've heard than Browning. He's similar size and he makes more plays because his instincts are better than Browning's. So yeah, he was considered for the list and I think he's the best of the four. So I don't think we're anywhere different on Warner. Uh, Jamin Davis, if, if there was another linebacker at Kentucky that was anywhere near uh, Warner in terms of, you know, uh, his ability to diagnose and make plays, I think you would have seen even more sort of disparity in, in Jamin Davis's tape, but that's neither here or there. All these guys are crazy athletes. Buddy Johnson, a guy that's on this list because he's an athlete, a friend of ours, Craig Stout, um, at Barley Hop on Twitter, uh, loves Buddy Johnson in the later rounds for the Chiefs. And I've learned to listen to Craig's instincts. So I, I watch Buddy Johnson. I don't like Buddy Johnson's tape. I see he's an athlete. I don't <laughs> like his tape that much, but I trust Craig. So I sort of have that reservation in the back of my mind. Like maybe I'm not looking at it right. Or maybe I didn't watch the right tape and I only watched a couple. So, you know, it's possible that I missed Buddy Johnson's best, but he's absolutely an athlete, uh, short, stocky, but super fast. Uh, again, aggressive like Jamin Davis, but not quite the athlete. Um, and not so much in pass coverage, which I am, I have learned to crank up my dial on 
kennel linebacker covered and pass coverage because the NFL requires it now. There is, you know, first down is not a guaranteed running down. You no longer have run pluggers that come off the field. That's not a thing. So if a guy struggles in pass coverage, um, as a linebacker, he's going to get a lower grade for me because it's just a necessary requirement of the job these days. So the only system that I could think of that like really uses gigantic, I don't want to say slower, but just like not as fluid linebackers. The heavies. <laughs> the, you know, it's, it's Belichick up in New England. It's Flores. And and it's funny, like I've been watching those uh, those Coach Vass videos because he knows he knows the Belichick system. He has all the tags, all their language, everything like that. So like he knows their stuff, you know, backwards and forwards. And it's funny, he's going through like their dime package stuff, both in terms of fronts and coverages and how they use Hightower. Like when it's third down, he ain't covering, he's rushing. Like yeah, they literally sure. create all their fronts and everything like that around Hightower as a rusher, because why would you use him in coverage ever? Like Van Noy's the dude that covers, or now it'd be Josh Uche as well as Van Noy or, uh, and probably Duggar too, to a degree, but it's like, those are the only two systems that I could think of where they're like, yeah, 250 pound linebacker. Sure. Let's, let's fire it up. Yeah. That doesn't move like Zayvon Collins, (laughs) (laughs) you know, uh, I'm, I'm with you. And and there's not that many of those guys out there. And, and these are a couple of them. Like that's the thing about Baron Browning is he is a 250 pound linebacker and he does move like that physically. Now, whether you can get that tied into, again, we've talked about instincts, uh, bad instincts, just take you to the wrong place faster. If you're a great physical Marvel and you don't know what you're doing. Um, but it's a fun athletic, um, linebacking core. And then there's guys that are, you know, whatever you want to call them scrappy smaller um that make plays farther down but there's there's plenty of athletic talent i've heard a lot of people down on this inside linebacking class i'm like there's some guys there if you're looking at browning and warner and zayvon collins and jabril cox like there's a bunch of guys there why don't we go to uh corners here and there's a few guys here on this list Uh, obviously they're all freak athletes there's one that i really really like who's going to be one of those guys that goes way higher than people think because people forgot about him. And there's one that gets the hype of somebody that's going to be those, you know, better than you think guys that I'm, I seem to be lower on than consensus. I'll try to let you guess which one is which as you go through. Um, But why don't you take us through all, what is it? Six of these corners that all have like top, top, top and athletic scores. Yeah. So I broke them into boundary corners and slot corners. Uh, we'll start with the boundary guys, the bigger guys outside. Um, Paulson Adebo from Stanford, nine, five, six. Uh, Ifiato Melifon Wu, and I'm sure I butchered his first name. Sorry about that, buddy. Uh, Syracuse, 9.69. Jason Pinnock from Pittsburgh, 9.77. And Pinnock is not a guy you're hearing about. Now, I don't love his game, but 9.77 on the RAS score in a very competitive RAS category corner is something that makes you stand up and take notice. And then Brandon Stevens from SMU, who nobody's talking about, 9.2. If you make it into the nines in the quarterback cornerback rankings for RAS, you are an extremely gifted athlete. Uh, For slot, it's Marco Wilson from Florida, who is a guy like Davis um, in the linebacking core who tested out of their minds, didn't see it on tape, but he is a 999, just missed the 10 mark. Um, Didn't see that one coming, so I got to go back to Marco Wilson's tape. Well, you Uh, know why he got 999 and not 10? No. Because J.C. Horn got the 10. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There can only be one. 
even yeah it's like highlander right uh somebody was uh saying we had great movie quotes last time i think it was clerk too so we've already hit highlander and a couple others this morning um nate hobbs from illinois not a name that a lot of people are talking about uh, good size 9.59 that's a slot guy and robert rochelle who many people talk about because he went to senior bowl central arkansas um pretty raw but 9.65 so again ball of clay yeah, he's the one where I'm kind of like, eh. no, he's athlete yeah. right now. I I yeah. think if you're thinking he's more than a, if you're thinking he's a lot more than athlete right now, um, not you're not getting it. And the other guy that's like him from a small school is Brian Mills, um, who also went to the Senior Bowl and was hyped up as a as a smaller school guy who's a really good athlete. His RAS didn't come back so well, and he uh, he learned a lot on the field in mobile. Um, so yeah, not saying, that's nice he's, yeah, not saying he's not going to be a, a decent corner at some point down the road, but the reason you're not hearing as much about mills is because his athletic testing was not off the charts. Rochelle, on the other hand, tested as expected as a top flight athlete, the difference between an athlete and a corner, two different things. So Rochelle, yeah. I'm not surprised that he's your guy. And then the forgotten guy that you think is going higher, uh, I'd say Paulson Adebo. Bang on. He's yeah. another one of those Pac-12 guys that opted out because Pac-12 was a mess this year. Um, but when you look at at what he did earlier in his career at Stanford, like was, I mean, 2017, 2018, like early in his career, 27 passes defense and eight interceptions as a freshman and sophomore. Like that's yeah. that's ridiculous. And he's got good tape. For sure. And his ball skills, like there was an interception he had against Cal. I don't know. The sideline one? No. There, well, oh, okay. he has a couple interceptions against Cal, but he has one where it's it's an Odell Beckham prime time against the Cowboys quality. I mean, laying out yeah, the back right. Grabs the nose of the ball. The one going Turns over in way. air. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But I mean, he's like full extension. The ball's like way overthrown inside, laying out, grabs the tip pulls it in as he's kind of barrel rolling in the air. Like it's ridiculous. And he has a guy on him. Yeah. The receiver's just short. He, it looks like nobody's got a chance at the ball. They're both sort of almost backpedaling. It's almost like a back shoulder throw gone bad. It's way to the outside. And he literally just stabs at it with his right hand, makes a completely clean catch, wraps it and rolls it before he goes out of bounds. Um, the one I was talking about is a cut. Uh, he's on the right cornerback guys running it out he plays him with inside leverage and then sees he's going out fires across his face grabs the ball toe taps and like flips that was it to the the, the one against arizona yeah uh-huh. he had a, that transition where it like it is foot in the ground hips open firing to the sideline we say he's click and close good. and click and yeah. close for him on that play was staggering because he was a couple of yards inside on leverage and saw the out and went nope mine and made it look supremely easy like the receivers literally stand there like damn i should have come back to the ball i thought he was over there off my hip and he just took that went tap here you go flip by and made it look easy he's he's very good um melifon was another guy that um he's he's a tremendous athlete uh you see some okay corner reps but then you see some really good mental reps from him and you see him understanding there's one where he's moving across the formation starts in starts his right corner. They motion his guy across. And as he's coming across, he opens his vision 
sees the play setting up, obviously recognizes it on tape, and breaks deep as he's coming across. Instead of tracking his guy straight across underneath the linebackers, he realizes, nope, they're going to roll this down the sideline. This is a boundary throw to that guy. Basically completely breaks coverage, says my guy's not a factor, right? My guy's just moving me. Breaks, and because he opens that angle, makes a play on the ball for the deep shot on the receiver, which was not his guy, again, all the way across the field, but he saw it basically as he came across the hash. He's like, nope, I got it, and he breaks it open instead of staying flat in motion and is able to make a play way down the field on a guy that's not his. That's the kind of thing from a corner that gets you really excited because that mental processing mixed with great physical skills, Melifon was a 9.69 in RAS, that's the kind of thing that gets secondary coaches excited. Smart players in the secondary that have great physical skills like Adebo and Melifonwu. Uh, let's talk about safeties here because there's uh, there's one in particular that I, I'm obsessed with. I mean, I, there's so many safeties in this. Like, I, I don't have just one Eddie Jackson. I don't have just one Darnell Savage or Jesse Bates this year. I have like a whole litter of safeties that are going to go, you know, day two, day three that I'm obsessed with. James Wiggins from Cincinnati is one of them. Uh, you also have Tyler Coyle, Derek Forrest, the other Cincinnati guy who's also a freak. <laughs> and then Caden Stearns from Texas, as if Texas didn't have enough great Another athletes. Texas athlete. Weird, yeah. right? Why don't, you, why don't you take us through these four? They're, so they're all uh, I broke these into sort of the dimebacker. You can call it strong safety, close to the line, supporting the run, covering tight ends. Um, Tyler Coyle from Purdue. A nine eight three. Almost nobody's saying his name, and it's because he's not a deep third safety. He's not going to be covering wide receivers out of the slot deep down the field. If he is, it's probably not going to be pretty. But in terms of uh, height, weight, speed guy that can deliver blows near the line, Tyler Coyle nine eight three for Purdue guy to look into. And in that again, heavier sort of dimebacker role. The other three are coverage safeties. James Wiggins, who I really like as well, nine point seven, crazy athlete. And then Derek Forrest, his running mate, who's a little bit shorter, but also really fast, a 9.69, one point off. And the ridiculous fact is two of the three top-rated RAS safeties in this draft played at Cincinnati, and it was Wiggins and Forrest. They are number two and number three on the list overall. Um, Not enough people talking about Wiggins for sure. Forrest, I think, is sort of a sleeper special teams guy that could find a role uh, as a third safety as more teams roll towards third safeties being uh, the norm for a lot of their dime downs. Um, And then Caden Stearns, Texas, uh, enough said about Texas. He was a 9.59. Again, guy that's going to go in probably the fifth or sixth, um, but has a tremendous athletic profile. Um, again, safety is pretty competitive. A lot of athletes at safety in terms of RAS. So again, being a relative score above nine as a safety means you can move. Uh, you're probably pretty strong and you are above, well, you have to be above about five, 10 because safeties tend to trend a little bit shorter, uh, than corners overall. So the lack of height doesn't hurt you as much. In fact, Derek Forrest is, um, a little bit shorter. Wiggins is right about six foot. Um, but doesn't hurt him as much because he's blazing fast, which reminds me of another pair of safeties. These are just like we have pairs of edge rushers, right? We've got pairs of safeties from Georgia, uh, from Cincinnati, from Oregon. Uh, and then, of course, T. 
TCU. And both of those guys are going to go a lot higher and uh, more and um, our Darius Washington, but our Darius Washington shorter reminds me of Derek Forrest fast, powerful, um, but not super tall. Um, and that's going to limit his, his profile with some teams, but those guys are tremendous athletes as well. A lot of athletes, um, both at the top and, and down the board in the safety class. So both of the Cincinnati guys, uh, were coached by Marcus Freeman, who was at Cincy last year. He's going to be the new DC at Notre Dame. You talk to any high school or college defensive coach in America they were all looking at what Cincinnati was doing last year schematically because they were just doing some kind of crazy shit. And I, I, I was talking to, cause Vass was doing like a whole study on it. And so we got on a zoom call one night and I was like, explain to me what's going on here. And he was taking me through all the kind of little interesting stuff they do where like they line up in like a three down front and then they will just, they had this big, like 250 pound linebacker, Again, they're one of the few teams that had one and they would just use him to basically blitz into under fronts or over fronts where it's like, we never really told you what we were going to do. We were going to put three guys on the line. We weren't going to tell you if we were doing under or over until this dude's blitzing into one of those B gaps. And then the safeties were responsible for just cleaning everything up. Like the defensive line was chaos. It's like, we are getting up the field. We, we got this big son of a bitch who's just blitzing the B gap, you know, everything's getting spilled outside. So we need these two athletes that can get outside and make plays in space. Um, you know, they did drop eight a lot. So it's like, you have to, to click and close and make tackles, which he was doing. Uh, he played a lot of overhang. Uh, so, you know, he was handling slot receivers and run responsibility. Like both of these guys really were, but, but Wiggins was the one that stood out to me in terms of like size, explosiveness, tackling ability, playmaking. Like he, he did some stuff that I was like, man, that's bigger Buddha Baker. Like yeah. Buddha's- he's my shh guy. When, when people <laughs> tell me so to good. shush about Ellerson Smith, I'm like, as long as you don't talk about Wiggins, I won't talk about Smith. Right. Because uh, bears need a safety and you know, Eddie's great, but they sort of, chose to run it back with some guys that are largely special teamers and that, that, that other safety spot is open. And the new DC in Chicago is the former DBs coach, right? Who's going to run too high shell, Sean Desai. So I bet he wants somebody that has, again, like you said, a somewhat equal capability. He doesn't want a banger. A lot of people are, are like, go get a 230 pound, you know, cam chancellor clone. Sean Desai doesn't want that. He wants to be able to rotate those guys in mm-hmm. shell, especially post snap. And he wants even potential from both of them. And so I'm thinking closer to free, more coverage than dimebacker banger and Wiggins is a guy they can't spend a high pick on it they're they're deprioritizing defense and reprioritizing offense so it doesn't optically it doesn't look great to go out and get a guy in the first and say well we're trying to make the defense great again no but down the board a guy like Wiggins who has speed has a bunch of role versatility isn't getting a ton of buzz is a tremendous athlete like I bet Sean decides just sitting there like, please, <laughs> please, please, please let us, you know, come up with a maybe third, fourth round pick where we could get that guy. Um, and, you know, there's guys down the board like that, but he is a guy that I think for his profile in that defense, which is a ton of fun. And the guy that turned me on to this since he defense doing interesting stuff schematically was Ted Wynn. 
Um, oh, Ted my, loves them. He's obsessed yeah. with them. Yeah, he was like, man, since he does some fun stuff, I was like, <laughs> okay, let's take a look. And uh, yeah, yeah, as you watch the tape, they're 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 variable, right? Yeah, I, you know this from watching college tape, like I do, that you get to certain defenses and they're doing the same thing. They're doing the same thing they did last year. They're doing the same thing they did last week. You know, same thing. This is this is your grandfather's defense, right? And then you get to, to tapes like Cincy, and you're like, ooh, ooh, hey, yeah. Ooh. You go no wait what back that up whoa right yeah since he's a ton of fun on the defensive side so both their safeties ton of fun and and i've already had a, a varied a, a very varied role in college and again you see um college safeties that have a very defined role and they're not probably gonna have that in the nfl unless they're coming in as a sub player right so if you're going to be a starter in the NFL, you're going to have to do some of all those things you mentioned that the Cincy safeties have already done. And I think that makes them very attractive to, you know, professional DB coaches. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get to that Danny Kelly uh, interview in just a moment, but uh, why don't we take an ad break real quick? We'll reset and we'll be back with our interview with Danny Kelly. This week's episode is brought to you by Mack Weldon. Mack Weldon is a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart designs and high quality fabrics. Mack Weldon offers a one-stop shop for all men's basics, socks, shirts, hoodies, underwear, polos, and active shorts, whatever you need in a wide variety of customizable fabrics like Air Knit X, Dry Knit, and Warm Knit, Mack Weldon has you covered with all of them. They've also created a totally free loyalty program called Weldon Blue, where level one gets you free shipping for life. And once you reach level two by spending at least $200, Mack Weldon gives you 20% off of every order for the next year. I can personally attest to the quality of every single item I've ever got from Mack Weldon. I've been using them for about a year now, uh, especially with the Ace hoodie, the full zip one. I can't recommend it enough, especially for like a California winter like we get here where it's cold, but not really cold by the rest of the country standards. It's like a perfect blend between keeps you warm, but doesn't keep you too warm. And it's just a really, really comfortable fabric. And I really encourage you to look through Mack Weldon's catalog. If you like anything over there at MacWeldon.com and you want to pick anything up for yourself, you can get 20% off your first order at MacWeldon.com slash bootleg and enter promo code bootleg. Again, that is MacWeldon.com slash bootleg promo code bootleg for 20% off your first order. Mack Weldon, reinventing men's basics. All right, we have a very special guest today a bootleg og if you will <laughs> danny was there at the very beginning uh at senior bowl 2020 where ej and i were, were kind of hatching the plans so to speak for what bootleg would become danny was crushing plates of mexican food with us in mobile <laughs> alabama that place was we good put, it was <laughs> low-key pretty good and, yeah. I, and i say that as a, as a southern californian that has very high standards for mexican food <laughs> yeah if, if there was ever going to be a Mexican place to go to in Alabama, it's probably that one. <laughs> Pretty no good. The Ringer, uh, Danny Kelly, uh, host of the uh, the Ringer Fantasy Football Podcast there. He, he puts together their, their draft guide for draft season, all the scouting reports for the Ringer uh, draft guide. He used to be the national football writer at SB Nation, where EJ and I uh, used to call home. Well, EJ mm. might still call home. Uh, and then before that was the editor of Field Goals, uh, the SB Nation Seahawks site, which is where I first got to know Danny because I was over yeah. uh, Battle Red Blog, the uh, the Texans site. And yeah. so, yeah, we uh, we go way back in this chat. Danny, uh, how are you doing? And uh, are, are, are you dead yet? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I am. 
I can't believe there's still like three weeks till the draft because I already feel a little bit burnt out with, um, you know, just all the different, I guess like maybe it's a blessing in, in disguise that they've had these two massive trades before the week of the draft, because then yeah. like maybe it would have been worse, but um seems like there's been a lot of action over the last few weeks and a lot of, you know, opportunities to react to like, obviously the 49ers move up is really big news. The Darnold move is big, big news that could have uh, repercussions for the rest of the draft. So um, yeah, I'm hanging in there, but getting getting ready for this draft to happen so i can take you know take a little time off <laughs> it's been shifting sands like you said and uh were you in the middle of any seven round mock drafts do we need to do we need to have a wait <laughs> for your seven round mock drafts that have now been scrapped twice i feel bad for folks that do those oh my gosh uh, yeah yeah you're in the middle of that and that trade news comes out and you're like so the best of the people that do seven round drafts in february and it's oh like, God. why? That is, what yeah. are you doing? For Name people with very strong, you know, imagination, yeah. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fantasy. They're into fantasy, just like you did. There you go. Yeah. Wow. So just taking a, a high level look at this class overall, uh, since you are the, the, the draft guru, so to speak, <laughs> yeah. what would you say are the strengths of this class? What would you say the weaknesses uh, is there any particular area of value that if you were a general manager, you would be attacking relentlessly mm. in this class? So I think a few strengths, I'd say, obviously, it's a good quarterback class, I think, actually. And, and, um, I, and maybe you call it a top heavy class because there are five first round talents, I think, in this class. And then there's a handful of guys that, you know, maybe you could grab in the second round that could develop eventually into starter caliber players. And then I think a couple other positions that really stand out to me as good and, and, and deep are receiver and tackle with receiver. There's some, there's a handful of blue chip guys, but it's the depth is also very impressive. I think there's, you know, you're going to have teams getting guys in the second, third round that could come in and, and contribute immediately. It's sort of like the same deal as last year, where if you have a couple extra second round or third round picks, I think you're sitting pretty uh, as a team this year just because of the talent that's going to fall there and then offensive tackle and even interior line. Well, I guess I would like clump those together because there's a handful of guys that like Elijah Vera Tucker, for instance, is a guy that some people see as a tackle. Some people see as a guard, um, whatever you, whatever you envision he's going to be. I think there's just a, it's a pretty deep uh, offensive line class. And so um, those are the two that really stand out. I do think that's a pretty good corner class, like defensive back in general. There's a, there's a, a lot of really intriguing players. Um, and then as for as far as weaknesses, I guess like interior defensive line slash pass rush pass rushers kind of stand out as a question mark to me. Um, there's no one clear elite pass rusher. And it seems like every one of the pass rushers in the first couple of rounds have big like question marks like Jason away, no sacks last year. Um, mm-hmm. Jalen Phillips injury situation is is something that teams might really balk at or, or the fact that he, you know, retired from football briefly in his college career and then decided to come back Aziz Ojolari, not very, you know, tall. And so I think there's just like a question. There's a lot of questions around all the edge rush guys. Um, so that would be, I guess, like where I would look at and, and say, you know, this class isn't super strong there. Yeah. Tight end is one for me. Uh, oh yeah, that, you know, definitely. There's, there's Kyle Pitts, which is whatever Kyle Pitts is up at the top. And uh, Friermuth, and uh, there's a couple more tight ends that I like down the board, but it's like a couple. 
Right. And yeah. if you don't get those guys sort of when you're looking to get them, whether it's higher up or targeting them in middle rounds, if you get pipped on those guys, you're not you're you're looking somewhere else. And quite frankly, the free agent market doesn't have anything left at tight end either. So right, right. tight end is one of those down markets that's playing off the draft. Some markets like wide receiver that you mentioned, it's really hard to be. We saw the wide receiver free agency market was just stagnant because Everybody mm-hmm. knows the last class was loaded. This class is loaded and it's just pressing that market down. Um, safety is one for me where I feel like there's some really good guys up top. And then there, again, there are a few spot guys you go through depending on what you want in your system, but mm-hmm. it just didn't feel like it went down the board and, you know, running mock drafts. If you don't get those guys at tight end or safety, and that's a team need of yours, you're kind of, you're left in the lurch. Right. Whereas, tackle you can pick tackle all day long in this class i think there's tackles that are going to go in round three that have a decent chance to start within a couple of years yeah which is amazing so that's it's a cool class overall and it's that's one of my favorite things about studying the draft in general is is each class is a snapshot right people say how's it compared to last year how's it compared to next year it doesn't matter you've got the picks you've got this year and you've got (laughs) these guys to pick from it's not like you can push them typically from one year to another and how those two things line up has a lot to do with team building. What do you think of the running back? Uh, now that I'm thinking more about it, like the running back <laughs> class is a, to me a little bit shallow or a top, uh, top heavy anyway. Uh, how are you feeling uh, about the running backs? I'm a running back aficionado. So I, <laughs> I think there's, I think there's fun players all the way down. And I find myself again, not picking players until later. Cause I'm like, I could get this guy three rounds later. Like he's 85% of that guy. Um, and again, I like some of the backs up the top and I see what you're saying about that sort of top heavy crust. If you don't get that top, mm. say four, um, I'd wait a bit, but then at the bottom, there's, there's all these guys you're seeing like Ramondre Stevenson in round five or six. Yeah. Like if he fits your system, that's a really good value. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be the year of the day three running back. Not that the round two guys aren't going to be great, but I mean, Khalil Herbert, Kylan Hill, Ramondre, I mean, Sermon might go round four, yeah. maybe round three. Like Elijah Mitchell. Yeah. I mean, God, yeah, some people down there. Some people are working out Amari Rogers as a running back. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. I mean, Demetric Felton is, I mean, I guess he's a running back, but yeah. not uh, really. They're grading him as wide receiver for the most part. Most, but I, you know, you can play him as both. He's just, oh, for sure. You know, he's James White on steroids. Right. Maybe. Right. Like, James White is a good one. I just, I think there's, as you said, there's so many guys this year and it's so deep. Um, I will say some of uh, Danny, your, your skill position comps, like your, your comps specifically on the ringer draft guide are, are like one of the most entertaining. <laughs> <parts of it. laughs> They're yeah, money. <laughs> I saw one. Uh, it was, uh, God, I think it was for Naji or no, it was for Javanta where it was like, Hold on, let me find it. I'm I'm scrolling down to it right now. Well, I know you compared <laughs> Devonta Smith to Apollo Ono. Which yeah, I gotta think, explain okay, that one. <laughs> but but it's, it makes sense. It makes sense. Like it's not a football <laughs> player, but it makes sense. Just side and note: then, Apollo Ono lives. He's from the town that I live in. Oh yeah, that's right. He's from from the local area. I don't. I, yep. What's the specific town? Federal Way. Okay, okay, that's right. But here, here's uh, yeah. here's his Javanta. His Javanta cop was Josh Jacobs <laughs> with beast mode mixed in, and so it's like it's these weird wonky comps that yeah. when you think about it make perfect sense. 
Yeah. So the the Ono one was something I thought about recently, just because when when he runs, when Devontae Smith is running, to me he looks like a short track speed skater. He just gets on his like he just gets on that edge and just goes. And it like he's very, very smooth. Um, you know, athlete, just like he moves like surprisingly fast for a guy who's that skinny and that like you wouldn't think he's that as explosive as he is. But so anyways, that's kind of why I went with Ono just, you know, mainly for fun, but also just because to me, when he gets going, he just looks like a speed skater and and the way he like runs is so smooth. That's just when he's, when he's like releasing at the line too, like his shoulders get so low to get around press coverage where it, again, you know, looks like a speed skater around in the corner. Like, (laughs) like the fact that you can maintain like balance and everything like that. It's really like, I, I think it's perfect. Yeah, <laughs> Appreciate it's, one it. of, it's one of my favorite things about your work in general, not just the draft guide, the comps are, are sort of the highest form of that, but <laughs> you have yeah. a ton of fun with it. And it's one of the things that attracted me to your work in the first place. And, and one of the reasons we started talking is we sort of see it the same way that not taking ourselves that seriously. Yeah. And this is supposed to be fun. I mean, the part of it that we do is not life or death. We're not going to get fired as GMs if we think that this guy is better than that guy. Um, and you bring that to it in a kind of effortless way. And it doesn't matter whether it's in writing or podcast. You know <laughs> this, that sometimes people are very different in in the written word and, and then they appear. Right, right you're you're super consistent with that uh and and i love it it's one of the reasons it's just fun to read your work it's it's excellent and it's well researched and everything else but it's fun to read it. it's fun to engage with it and i think I the draft that. comps are sort of like the best of that it's funny because it comps, comps can like make people mad sometimes that's why i try and have a little bit of fun <laughs> oh, with it. i made i made brett start drinking with a comp yesterday when we were recording or on a live stream oh, so yeah this one's yeah good. no i'm not doing it again you're I, not gonna I, bring I, it up again that's no, I'll, I'll tell you i'll dm it to you because i don't want i don't want my don't trigger i don't want my mentions to be a hellscape again um <laughs> so. fair there was one comp that I really uh, thought was fascinating, and I wanted to ask you this directly. So you have Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa as your ninth mm. overall player. Yeah. You compared him to Jamal Adams. Do you see him as a safety and not as a linebacker? Yeah. I I, I think he would be a really, really good safety. I think that there's definitely question marks of his um, you know, projection to the next level as like a full-time linebacker in terms of his ability to take on blocks um, just as experience playing in the box, like he has more slot reps than he does linebacker reps or in the box reps. So, so to speak. And I think just his skill set when I was watching him and reminded me of Adams um, from the sense that he plays in a lot of different positions on the defense. Um, he, you know, they kind of like line him up in different areas and ask him to do different things as a blitzer. Sometimes they line him up like kind of off like the overhangs spot so he can, he can rush off the edge a little bit. Um, and also just the fact that he's very, he's like a spark bug, spark plug player for them. He's just very energetic, brings the, brings the juice on like every snap. Even if he's not involved, he's like running over and jacking guys up. Like, just like, yeah, you know I mean? He's like getting guys into it. Um, so that reminded me of Jamal Adams. Um, stylistically, I think obviously they're a little bit different, but, um, I do see them more in like a, a safety mold. It's, it's interesting because they, they've labeled him a linebacker and he was the Buckus award winner, I believe, but he's more of like a hybrid defensive back in my mind. So would you, as a safety, how high 
would you take him in the class or in this draft? And, and kind of what team do you think makes sense for him? Mm, that's a good question. I, I, I don't know how high I would go. I, I mean, I have him ranked ninth. I think he'll probably end up going in the teens um, would be my guess. Um, but I just think he's such an impactful player that it would be worthwhile going that high. Let me, I don't know what team does do any teams stick out to you in terms of like the perfect fit. I've had him go to the Raiders a few times in mock drafts. Um, but I don't know if that's necessarily the perfect fit or just like, in uh, you know, put him in that Gus Bradley I, defense. I kind of like him to the jets just because, yeah. um, Jeff Ulbrich has experience a with linebackers that are about that size. I mean, Deion Jones played at 215, 220. Eric Kendricks played at about 220 at UCLA, and he was Eric Kendricks linebacker coach at UCLA. So if he wants to make him a linebacker, he can absolutely do that at that yeah. size. Yeah. Or if you just want to run like a a big nickel with him and Ashton Davis and Marcus May on the field at the same time and just put him just rotate him continuously at yeah. different spots. You could absolutely do. I think the jets at 23 is probably about as low as he's going to go. I think that would be really fun. Yeah. I would love to see that. I don't know if jets fans would want another first round Jamal Adams type. <laughs> Maybe they would. I don't know. I don't know what, how what, jets they're going to get two first Adams. round picks out of him <laughs> in three years. Yeah. They're going to call up Pete Carroll and say, Hey, we got another one. <laughs> I know he's <laughs> next in line. Anyways, if you haven't gotten to him, I know you've been concentrating on your top 100. If you haven't gotten to him, check out Tony Fields from West Virginia when you get the chance. Okay. If you miss on JOK, Tony Fields is uh, probably two rounds at best, maybe three rounds below, has a okay. very similar skill set, acts like that spark plug. Yeah. Um, and is just all over the place, can rush, can cover. Um, so he's been my sort of JOK light through this okay. draft. I like um, yeah, but players like that, I you know, it is interesting to see on tape how they interact with their teammates, right? What what are they doing? Are they the aggressive one? Are they the talker? Are they up in somebody's face? Yeah. Are they just quietly doing their business? Are they pulling other guys off? Or if they're offensive linemen, are they running over to support their guy? You can see all that stuff on tape. Yeah. I think it's a really underrated part of the process. People just kind of look at the highlight clip and go, oh, he's fast. You're like, yeah, but he's more than that. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, I think, you know, he's the type of guy who you might have to like, turn it down a notch or two at times or else he's going to be overrunning plays <laughs> Fields is the same way you know and he's going to be <laughs> he's going to be out of position because he's too jacked up and, and like flying downhill or whatever but um i mean he's he's clearly exposed explosive athlete one of the best athletes in this class and i just think there's a lot of you know potential there who would you say are like your three favorite like if, if danny kelly was a gm in the world right now <laughs> who's the guy or three that you are hounding the table for? It doesn't matter what round doesn't have to be a high guy, but who okay. are the three guys that you will not leave the draft without? Ooh, that's a really good question. So the first guy that comes to mind and I'll try and have a few guys here for you, but I, I really like Elijah Moore from Ole Miss who, who, who doesn't, <laughs> is that like too like chalk of an answer? No, no it's just, we've been driving the more bus. You yeah. you can tell when people finally get to Elijah Moore. Yeah, yeah. Because their Twitter feed just becomes the Elijah Moore highlight reel. Totally. Every, like the first time they watch him, like, wow, okay, okay. Ooh, wow, okay. Yeah, the way he moves and the way he catches the ball in traffic, the way he runs after the catch, it really did remind me of like Antonio Brown stylistically. Um, mm -hmm. And so he's a guy who, you know, prolific production, uh, really, really good athlete. 
incredible hands. Like I think he only had a few drops in his entire career and um, just a playmaker, you know, after the catch, you can line him up in the backfield if you want. So he's a, he's a guy that I think is just going to be a really good player in the league. He's just a player. And um, so he would be the first one that I kind of think of, you know, I think this is another highlight. This guy's gotten a lot of hype lately and, but I really like JC Horn, South Carolina, the corner Mm. Um, just plays really, really physical, obviously an elite athlete. Um, But the way he approaches the game, I think is like what you want from a corner. He's like an alpha. He's, he's, you know, going out there and, and trying to knock guys on their ass he plays in the run game. You know, he's twitched up athlete who can who can change direction and and has good length. He you know tries to rake at the ball, so he would be another one. Let me go through my list here real quick to try and find a little bit later guy. Um, I mean, while you look, I mean, Horn, I think is the only guy I think I can think of that has good coverage reps against Kyle Pitts, Devonta Smith, um, Jerry Judy, Elijah Moore. Like the, the, uh, yeah, all the Florida guys really. All the I, he's the gauntlet of receivers that he's faced of guys that are all going to be top fifty, sometimes top five picks. It's unbelievable. Yeah, like absolutely. I've never seen a resume like that before. <laughs> and the versatility, the fact that he can go from boundary to slot to inline cover, tight ends, wide receiver, you know, big alpha outside boundary wide receivers, fast slot guys like more. Um, he just see him again, that alpha mentality of, and he says, look, I want my coach to put me on one guy and say, take him away. <laughs> yeah. Like just remove him from the game plan. It doesn't matter if it's pits or more, whoever he, he can move all over the field. He can take inside reps, outside reps, big guys, small guys, fast guys, the whole bit. And you're pretty not pretty much not getting any production out of the guy that JC's on. Yeah, absolutely. So the other guy that I want to mention is, I don't know if he's a pound the table guy necessarily. It's just one of the, my favorite players in this draft is Michael Carter uh, from North Carolina, mm, the running back who he, so it, it, his stock is interesting. Cause I've heard, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of hype on him, but at the same time, I've also seen people sort of like pumping the brakes. He's a little bit small. He didn't te- like, I think after he tested yeah. people were like, okay, never mind. Almost. <laughs> you know what I mean? Kind of deal yeah, where yep. I'm like, look, dude, did you see, did you watch him on tape? Cause does that change your opinion that he ran in the four fives that he's like, just, jitterbug quicks um explosive lateral ability to make guys miss i think he has really good vision the way he kind of like slaloms through the defense and like you like lets the block set up in front of him he has like to me he has a very good feel for utilizing the blocks in front of him and then like sneaking through and and you know like basically setting up defenders and then like going the other way um so i think he's really smart that way good pass catcher um productive guy i don't know if he's necessarily going to be like a three down type player at the next level but i comped into austin eckler that's probably a little bit lofty considering how he tested um so i don't know maybe like a naeem hines yeah. might be like the lower level version oh, uh, or something I like would that. Take that yeah, yeah. I would totally take that my highest compliment for Carter is that he was playing in the exact same backfield as what I think is probably a good argument for RB1. Right, Javante and, Williams is and good. And when he came in, there wasn't a drop-off. The plays were different. They they move differently. They run differently. Carter's not going to run you over. Javante Williams absolutely will. But <laughs> right. when I was watching North Carolina tape, it was like, okay, Williams is in. And a lot of times when you've got that A number one sort of alpha Najee Harris type, he goes out, you're like, okay, 
you know, if I get half of what he was doing, that's pretty good. And Carter would come in and provide just as much in different mm. ways. And there was no drop off. And that's a heck of a thing. Yeah. He's just, I mean, he's just a lot of fun to watch. Um, who's the guy? Who's the bear? Who, you're going to know this. Who's the bears guy? I'm blanking on his name. Treat Cohen. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's got a little Cohen in him. I think he's a little bit bigger, but um, just the style of play that he brings, like it's the lightning element, and, and I just like him a lot. Um, I think he'll be probably a third, fourth rounder, but um, again, a, a productive guy that you can like, you know, get good big plays out of. Yeah, actually, guy that just got released uh, today, Gio Bernard. Oh yeah, that's actually a really good one too. Yeah, he's he's had a long career. I mean, it's not like he's been a superstar, but he's definitely. But I, put a good I like career. him, and again, if you're not thinking of him being, you know, and again, <laughs> this is an outdated Gio notion. Got released. But yeah, yeah, this morning. So I the idea of a bell cow back, which is not the way the league works anymore. Everybody works through platoons. Everybody True. works through rotations. Three backs. Some some teams four backs. Um, and if you don't have a spot in your three back rotation for a guy like Carter, uh, you're probably one of about two or three teams in the league. Everybody else <laughs> right. has a spot. Carter could make one of those three roles better. On Absolutely. the uh, on the other end of the spectrum, is there a guy that? you seem to be lower on than the quote unquote consensus. Like not saying yeah. that they're a bad player, but somebody where you're just like, eh, I don't, I don't see them being that high. Yeah. I think so. My guy for that would be probably Kadarius Tony who I wanted. I, I like the first time I watched him, I was like, yes, this is fun as hell. And then <laughs> for like, you know how some, some guys is like, the more you watch them, the more you like them. For yeah. me, it was a little bit the opposite with Tony. It was like the more I watched him, the less, I guess, convinced I was that he's going to be um, a reliable player early on. I do think he'll develop into a good player. I think he and I got him at 44, so it's not like I think he sucks or anything. But like some people have him in the first round and, you know, have him as their receiver four or five or in that range. I've got a couple of guys I like a little bit more than him. I like more. I like um, Terrace Marshall a little bit more. And I've got Rondale Moore ahead of him. So I guess to me, the question is, where does he land? Because I think that'll be important if he if he lands on a team where they're going to try and make him be like a regular real receiver where you're like timing and, and and precision and all that stuff. That could be a problem. But if you're if you're on a team where they're they know that they want to just utilize his explosive ability after the catch and his ability to improvise and you know, basically make guys miss and, and turn plays that shouldn't be big plays into big plays. Like he, he's going to be successful. Um, but I think that, you know, maybe this is just like my fantasy mind kind of like interfering with the analysis, but like he's a late, late developing former quarterback who is a sloppy route runner. And I could see like a quarterback getting pissed at him. Like if he was like on Brady's, if he's on the Buccaneers, I could see Brady being like, get this guy off the field. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Cause he's not where he needs to be at the right time or whatever. And so like, that's a little bit with my, like my worry a little bit with him. Um, but otherwise, I mean, I, I, again, it was exciting. It's exciting watching his tape. He's like in a very exciting player and explosive, but um, the, the jump to the pros worries me slightly. I think I tore my ACL like three times just watching him in the Kentucky game. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, like, just he's, he's chaos. No way a knee bends that way. He's oh chaos on wheels. That's, that's a great comp. And the, the conversation reminds me of all the conversations we had last year about LaVisca Chenault. Right. Ooh. That LaVisca yeah. Chenault is, 
they play a little bit different. Tony is more pure lightning. He's a little bit faster. Chanel, a little bit more power and will run you over, plays a little bit more like a running back with a ball in his hands. But the the concerns that you brought up are the same, right? How good are they as a pure route runner? How good mm-hmm. are they on timing? Are they in the right place? Are they developed on breaks and releases? And the answer is no. Get them the ball in space and let them go do their thing. And if you got a team like that, great fit. If you've got a quarterback like Brady or Rodgers or whatever, that's like you miss for the third time, you're not seeing another ball for their, you know, the next quarter. uh, It's not going to be great for him early on. Not saying he can't get there, but not where he is right now. Yeah. What about somebody that you're significantly higher on than the consensus? Like I, I noticed you have Joe Tryon at 39 which is probably on the upper end compared to a yeah. lot of people. Would you would you say he's your biggest one that that you're higher on than the consensus? Yeah, he's definitely up there. Um for him to me so I I think I read this tweet by uh, Daniel Jeremiah the other day that said it was or like it was a few it was maybe a month ago and it kind of has influenced my thinking about it and I um maybe like influenced it a little bit too much but like he was basically saying with the speed at which pl- like teams get the ball out these days in RPO offenses and things like that. Power players like Tryon have a bigger role um, because of the way that they can be disruptive up front, change the pocket, um, play the run, be in our, on third on all three downs. You don't have to have the explosive first step burst that a lot of the like traditional, I guess, top pass rushers would have because they're getting rid of the ball so fast so much nowadays that. Um, power players can kind of like thrive in the NFL. I think I see him. He's more of a power rusher, like a bull rusher, a guy who's going to disrupt the pocket, change the pocket, um, give, you know, offensive tackles a really hard time. And, and then I felt better about like ranking him that high. Obviously he, he, I don't, he didn't play this last year. If he did, it was like very briefly. No, he didn't. Yeah. And then, um, so that's a big concern. And the lack of experience is a big concern and, and all that, but he has really good length. He tested really, really well. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just kind of excited about his potential. Um, but I, yeah, I would acknowledge, I think that he's probably higher than, than most. And I just, I think that that power player, you know, point where you, you know, you, teams are going to be able to use a guy like this on the defensive line. That, that kind of stuck with me. Yeah. Two things about try on one, the way Levi talks about him on Wuzuriki. He Levi loves that guy. And look, they're teammates and that happens, but the yeah. way, he he speaks in glowing terms about what Tryon was doing last year before he opted out. And the other one's a question for you. Does Tryon remind you at all of Lawson? Like just power, like pure power. Yeah. For sure. Which one? Shaq or Carl? Carl, thank you. Okay. I was thinking of Carl when you said I don't that, yeah. yes. I Shaq is not the first thing in my mind. Um but yeah, yeah. no, Carl Lawson, right? Ended up going a little bit later. There were injury concerns with the knee. But when Carl Lawson was there in like the fourth round, I was like, what are people doing? Did you watch <laughs> his tape? Yes, yeah. he's not classic run the arc, but he gets there. And one of the ways that Lawson gets there is get inside, lock that arm out on the shoulder and just the wrong arm. Yeah. And you see Tryon do that occasionally. He doesn't do it enough. It's a consistency thing, but the potential and then the testing. And we were talking about this last night on the live stream. The NFL loves potential, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Love potential. And Tryon is dripping with potential, had some pretty good tape. And I think that com- 
combined with what you were talking about from DJ's tweet, which I also read, is that there's a place for him. The question is where, but and how high, I guess. But yeah, yeah I mean, I think it's it's hard. To, it's not necessarily me saying he's going to go in the early second round. It's more just like I think this guy's going to be a good pro. Um, the the other thing I think that's like a little bit worth mentioning on this is the UW defense is a little bit weird. I haven't like studied their all twenty two like really extensively, but they play a lot of three down looks. Um, mm-hmm. where it's like he's rushing against two guys every time almost. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so that was certainly affecting his his production, but he was like high motor, always just given the offensive lineman hell. Um, you know, the kind of guy who's like making his impact felt in more ways than just getting sacks. And so I think um I don't know, he just whatever for he stuck out to me as like a, a just like a, a really strong, you know, disruptive defensive end keeping it with the UW defense real quick. What was your thoughts on Elijah Molden? Do you think he's a safety or a corner? I think he's, I think he's a nickel back it, 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 this. It, he's tough though, because I don't think he's got like elite speed to necessarily like turn and run with a guy. Um, but I think he's, he's a, 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 yeah, like a big nickel or a nickel back and where he's just kind of like, you know, line up inside. He's not, I don't think he has the length necessarily to be outside, um, but he's, he's actually in the same, mold is Tryon in the sense that he's just like plays hard, like physical flies around amps up his teammates. Um, seems to have very good instincts for where the ball is going, always in the right place can play the run. Um, Cause like, you know, if you're playing nickel, you're going to be getting, you're going to have to like stick your nose and is it stick your face in the fan a little like that's like the expression. <laughs> you have to like get in there and like not be afraid to like, tackle and all that stuff. And I think he has all that. So the only question would be, you know, is he athletic enough or, or twitchy enough to, you know, be a full-time corner or is he more of like a safety? I comped him to Winfield, I guess, which is obviously a safety um, Antoine Winfield. But I mean, to me, it's more just like he reminded me of the way that like he plays with instincts. My, my comps are all more, esoteric sometimes or nah, whatever it's it's, like. comps are we talk about this all the time on bootleg is that comps are you have to qualify a comp and it was it yeah it brought it to mind with what you were talking about with your list right my list represents that i think this guy is going to be a good pro not that he will be selected in that range or that i think he's worth that in overall value and you have to say all that stuff and you have to say the same, yeah. same thing with comps right am i comping him to the college version of this player or the <laughs> hall of fame version of this player um you know is it a movement thing? Is it a body type thing? Is it just an attitude thing? Um, there's so yeah. much that goes into those and and it makes them really tricky. Molden, I think is, is a really good player and a really fun player. I think where he's going to struggle is the, is the area you identified. You line him up on a really fast slot, mm. right? You get, you line him up against Tyreek, you line him up against Kelsey and it's everybody against Tyreek because Tyreek's faster than most <laughs> of the league. Right. But he's really going to struggle with guys that have burst on the inside and they can be a big slot. They could be small. It, it's the speed, right? If you get long speed and you go deep middle post out of the slot and it's, right. you know, and they ask molding the man up, it's going to be good for about 15 yards. And after that, it's probably not going to look great. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think you're, you're, you really spot on, on, on your description of like the comps. Like a lot of times it's just how they move. It just reminded me of a guy or mm-hmm. like, you know, it's one of those things where you have to qualify it to when, when people ask. Or else your co-host gets really, really angry. <laughs> let me uh, let me look up your your comp for JC Horn, who I've just become obsessed with, especially 
Willie I'm going to ask you, Danny, I'm going to ask you about J.C. Horn because you said one thing that pricked my ears up. You said he plays the run, and that's the one – it's not a knock because he's really physical, right? He is the best long press corner in this draft, and that means that you're physical, right? You can get up and control guys, even big guys. But he doesn't play the run that well. <laughs> like, he can. He has all the tools, but there's there's at least one tape that I watched that he didn't make a tackle. Like Not he one. just was like, a he just run with his guy. <laughs> no, and he totally erased his guy, right? Mm-hmm. But a run came to his side, he'd just be like, okay, guys, get clean that up. Can right? you guys take care of that? Yeah. Which is I, weird I because he, he's if, super if he's fast, free, super physical. Yeah. If he's free, he'll make the tackle. It's when he's, it's the, if he's on a block, he'll stack on a block. He's not going to be blocked very well, but it's the, disengaging and getting off inside that can be a little bit because like I've seen him uh in the Auburn game like completely blow up a receiver and make a tackle yeah I think uh, everybody uh, that's the pick that's the, like the play I have in mind it's probably what why I even said that but yeah so it's like it's you know he can do it but then you watch that's the thing, uh, you watch the LSU the game and it's just sometimes he'll sometimes he'll just kind of watch and he'd be like, well, I'm holding the outside guys. You go yeah, get them. Uh-huh. There's a lot. You know? of <laughs> and it's so strange because a lot of times when guys do that, like you said, Danny, they're afraid to stick their nose in the pile, or I don't want to say afraid. Cause I'm not calling out somebody's right, character. Right. I'm saying they don't want to, they don't have a lot of desire to tackling is a, is a desire. It's a want to thing. It's like playing special teams. And, you know, some guys just don't want to because they really can't. And he can, like he can overpower just about yeah. anybody places and he is you see him be aggressive and physical against receivers off the line which are a lot of the same skills that you're going to use supporting and holding an edge in a run game he just chooses not to a lot which is really interesting (laughs) but that's fair his his value is so high as that sort of top flight air-to-air eraser um that you know you can overlook it it's one of my it's one of my nitpicks on corners if they don't really support the run hard all the time but with him <laughs> so you must like, not like very, very many corners uh well <laughs> i had a big problem with cj henderson last year yeah uh because he he really uh didn't like it and we actually correctly called the uh the play that he would face in week one <laughs> we were like if we were an opposing offensive coordinator we would run, run iso yeah, yep, yeah run iso and make him you know uh, they ran crack toss with derrick henry on like the first yeah. series we're like there yeah it is. right at him there it like, is <laughs> go ahead brook buck up good luck. he did he did okay but no uh there are corners i like better i mean out of the top four i like sertan a lot because sertan uh you know does everything pretty well but mm-hmm. he is he is in there on the run hard nose so no, Horn's a tremendous player, but it just pricked my ears up, so I figured I'd ask. That's fair. The That's interesting fair. thing with Horn, though, speaking of physicality, because I know he he be there. There are certain times where he wants to be physical, and there are certain times where where he isn't, which is kind of weird. It's not like a CJ Henderson situation where I felt like CJ never wanted to be physical. Like <laughs> we see it with JC uh, as a pass rusher. JC Horn's really good. Like just as a like blitzer, a like blitzer, yeah, yeah, but like he'll he doesn't just like run into a block and be like, I'm occupying my guy. Like he'll legitimately kick the ass with the tight end that's blocking him Yeah, and go get a pressure. Like his it's, it's weird. It's just, he's an interesting evaluation. He can turn it on for sure. That's the, that's the thing that catches me in that is you would expect that guy because he can turn it on because he has the physical skills because he has the bent and he looks like he likes doing it on, on the blitzes, Right. And you're like, that's the same stuff. Like, 
why do you do it now and you don't do it another time? Give me one of those guys you have to like take out in in the second quarter and like hit him on the shoulder pads and be like, hey, snap into it. Yeah, if we could still bang face masks together, we'd do that, but you can't. (laughs) Concussion protocol. I almost think it's like uh, it's like how Micah Parsons. This is going to be the weirdest comp, but hey, we're talking to the people of weird comps. It's weird comps. So like Micah Parsons, it's like, I am in my B-gap. This is my B-gap. There are many like it. This one is mine. (laughs) Like I'm I'm not doing a fallback. I'm not like shooting. Like I'm not going to try to shoot up field and like wrong or wrong arm this guard. Like I am staying in my B-gap. I'm not backdooring anything. You know what that is? That's the defensive version of Baker versus Chef. What? What do you mean? So Mark Schofield talking about quarterbacks, and he has this really interesting analogy of Bakers versus Chefs. And Bakers are the guys that are like, no, my read is post, in, hook. And he said, if the guy on the far side falls down and that guy's open by 15 yards, I'm not going to see him because I am one, two, three, because I'm playing within myself. Whereas guys like Mahomes are going to be like, forget one, two, three, that guy's open by 15 yards. Bam. He's a chef. He improvises, right? Bakers, you have to be very precise and you don't deviate. Yeah. Chefs, you're like, eh, it doesn't taste right. I'm going to add some of this, right? And he talks about chefs versus bakers. And that's a defensive version of a baker, right? He's like, right here on recipe, right number of milligrams, right heat, right time, not going anywhere else. The, the, chef, the and- chef would be like the guy, like you had mentioned, who sees a sliver in, in the offensive line and just shoots through and like tackle for loss or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, like Luke Keekley. Exactly. Keekley, Keekley was who I was like, exactly. What I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But, but guy that Parsons, Parsons and Horn are the same thing where it's like, Horn is like, I am holding the outside. You, everybody else handle, like I'm doing my job. I'm not going to come off that. Cause if I peak, <laughs> he's I a force player or whatever. Yeah. He's a force player. And Parsons the same way. It's like, I'm taking this gap. I'm not wrong arming the guard. I'm not backdooring. I am taking this gap. It's up to everybody, yeah. which then you, I watched Uwusu Koromoa and Parsons back to back, which is probably a mistake on my end because Uwusu Koromoa <laughs> is a chef. He totally. will actually totally. backdoor blocks. He'll just take, he'll do crazy stuff and make the tackle. Yeah. And I, I, I almost feel like Parsons plays linebacker like a defensive end. Who's just taught to contain everything. He was a defensive end, you know, I, I, think I that, know yeah. he, he plays like sense. it. Yeah. hasn't hasn't grown out of that yet <laughs> um, i mean that's my, my, yeah that's a great point i like that my one thing with parsons though is people always bring up like the memphis game i'm like oh look at these instincts he's getting all these tackles for loss i'm like it's a run blitz like, right. He's, right he's gonna do yeah. that anyway <laughs> it's, it's yeah, the difference between blitz. instinct and that's your role <laughs> on this play like when the ball snaps fire right that's not instinct that's doing your job and it sometimes it's hard to tell was that his role and sometimes we don't know but yeah a lot of people will be like man he just triggered and you're like yeah he was triggered no matter what he was triggered on motion of the ball like yeah. the whole thing is that like, moves and he the, goes if you see the defensive line slanting that way to clear a path for him to like it's that's what he's supposed to do i don't know <laughs> I'm, I'm lower on parsons than a lot of people because i feel like a lot of his best plays were like done on run blitzes where he just wasn't blocked just athletic, know. just pure athleticism. Or like whatever. as an athlete, yeah, as yeah. an athlete, sign me up. I get but that for sure. Man, he's got work to do, instincts wise. But I totally anyway. get that. Yeah, uh, I don't want to keep it too long, Danny. We, we've we've kept you for a while now, but thank you, a for all the work you do because it's phenomenal. Appreciate I love that. Reading it. Uh, <laughs> B, 
if you're still up in the uh, Pacific Northwest area, uh, mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna be up there. We'll we'll catch a Hawks game. I think the Bears. He's nice. threatening. Nice. He's nice. coming up for the yeah was, Seahawks Bears. Seahawks oh, sweet. Bears Seahawks. Sorry. Do we know when they're gonna play it, or you just know they're playing? They haven't released that yet, but we yeah, yeah, know yeah. that they are playing in Seattle. Sweet. So we'll we'll go grab some Mexican food and uh, oh, that's a great and, idea. And go to a Bears <laughs> game and be masochists watching Andy Dalton get crushed by Jamal Adams. <laughs> oh my God, I keep forgetting Andy Dalton is a bear. Oh, <laughs> please, please, just keep forgetting. It's cool. It helps the rest of us. But I uh, love it. If folks want to find your stuff, if they're not following you already, which they absolutely should be doing, where can they find your stuff and what do you got coming up? Yeah, so go to The Ringer, obviously, the nfldraft.theringer.com for the draft guide, uh, The Ringer Fantasy Football Show, which is a show about fantasy football, clearly. Uh, And then Danny Heifetz and I are doing two shows a week on The Ringer NFL uh, show feed also. So um, lots of podcasts, lots of draft coverage at The Ringer. Awesome. Thanks so much for giving us time during a busy season. We we love having you. Of course. Folks have asked for you as a guest <laughs> on Bootleg since the beginning. In fact, last year during the draft live stream, we were like, who is our, you know, our dream guest list? And people were like, get Danny Kelly. And we we're like, we, we can do that. It's cool. We know. Him. <laughs> I appreciate it then. Absolutely. Uh, thanks, Danny. Right, thank you guys. That was uh that was a great interview with Danny. Uh OG bootleg supporter. He's been there from the beginning. Uh, we love that guy. We both known him for years, and he's he's one of the best people in this business. Uh, we had a pretty full episode today, EJ. We had a in typical bootleg fashion. We had a discussion on you know sixth round picks running into an hour and forty five minutes. Shocker. Uh, we had a full interview with Danny. I'm tapped out. What about you? <laughs> uh, you know, I'd love to say I am, but we're not quite there yet. I'm going to have to tap in and, and take the baton and keep running because uh, it's draft season and we're not quite there yet, but we've got a bunch more content coming your way as jam packed as that was. Uh, and it was, we've got another great interview that's going to drop this week with our buddy, Mark Schofield, which we are thoroughly excited about. Um, I can't wait till that one drops because of the way that interview went. Um, one of our favorites. You say there. interview. I, it was just three dudes shooting the shit for, yeah, for an hour it, about football. I think the tagline <laughs> for that interview is, did you ever wonder what it would look like if you put three football nerds with a very detailed agenda in a room for an hour and then just burned the agenda? <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what that looks like. And it was amazing. Uh, it was it. Favorite I can't interview wait. I've ever done. Yeah. Can't wait for you folks to watch it. It's tremendous. Mark is a great guest. So we had a ton of fun. And that's not the end. Uh, We're going to keep scouting and we have more interviews uh, lined up that will come out next week um, with some tremendous folks in the industry that we're equally excited about as Danny's, as Mark's. Uh, We hope everybody is just really enjoying it. I've got to say that draft content in general this year, I can't thank all of you enough for watching it. The four draft episodes we put out before this, not including the Q&As, have seen 78,000 views on YouTube between offensive and defensive gems, uh, sleeper quarterbacks, and then our first interview with Brandon Thorne. If you add all those up, they are currently, as of this recording, sitting at just under 80,000 views, which is amazing. The the thirst for draft content this year, unparalleled. Can't thank you all enough for checking it out. And we're just going to keep the dial turned to 11, keep running until we fall down right after the draft, hopefully. Um, 
And until then, just keep watching Bootleg. We will keep bringing you amazing interviews, tons of content, and uh, live streams when we can. There won't be one this week, uh, but we'll look to squeeze one in next week where we can. Talk to you guys later.